What are, you, what are you tweeting? I haven't looked at your account in a while. I know you, you cover the cartels, but like what gory crap do you tweet? The last one was an edited picture of uh, uh, I, it was edited, right? But it showed a decapitated head on top of a cooler in Mexico that the cartels did. It was edited. So you don't see the gory part, but I think that's what got me shadow banned again. I'm like, oh, so do you, are you, are you one of those guys that would go back in the day on live leak every day in the morning when you wake up over a cup of coffee? Uh, the live leak now is called telegram. So live leak is gone, isn't it? The website is suspended. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I've been used. Everybody uses like the most part is telegram. Um, that's the main one. And then I do have like, I do track them on social media, like Instagram, Facebook. Like I have a lot of burner accounts. Um, ironically, like the word, maybe not gore, but like, like TikTok, let's say you, you upload something, you, you put something on TikTok and any inclination you're like a, in the cartel, they'll, they'll remove that video pretty quickly. But Instagram, it's, they run amok. They run amok. Hmm. Oh, Instagram is a lot stricter, yeah? No, contrary. No, 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 no. TikTok is way stricter than Meta. Like, Meta is atrocious. There's so many... and, and it, No, but Meta is still stricter, is still stricter than, than Twitter, no? Uh, I... No. Well... Uh, it depends. So, I, at least in... I would say the problem with Meta... So, Twitter doesn't have groups, right? You can't do, like, a group. But a meta, like Facebook, for example, there's actual groups of just like, yeah, they're all a bunch of like, like they'll, they'll send job recruitment ads on Facebook. Like you can find recruitment ads to join a cartel on Facebook easily. It's not that hard. You just know how you have to know how to, where to look. And, and, and Instagram, um, they, they'll post like them, like actively known guys that I can confirm visually seen that are cartel members. And they're like, oh yeah, here's like 500 kilos of Coke. No big deal. And they'll just upload it on, on Instagram, like, no biggie. And what That's crazy. Start- why, do you, why do you think they would, they would allow that? Because it's, it's- I don't think they allow it. It's just very hard. I think censorship is really – we don't give them enough credit how difficult – because when they censor too much, they get shit. When they don't censor enough, they get shit. It's like they can never get it right. I think meta, the problem is they don't have good algorithms for foreign languages, Right. Twitter in the beginning, when I first started this, Mexican Twitter was just insane. I mean, it was insane the content that people could post on Twitter. Like it's it was live leak, and I think Twitter caught up to it. And then now you start to see them like okay, kind of cracking down. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, I would say the same. Like you can't post gory content, but let's say TikTok. The moment they suspect. Like any, like anything, anything cartel related, it's automatically removed. Uh, I'm just gonna let me get a couple more things done before starting this space up. The, uh, uh, by the way, Simon, the uh, flight logs for Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, we just released, so we'll probably start digging into those and do a thread on them. Oh yeah, for sure, that's gonna be amazing. That's going to be fun. There's more files being released on Epstein. I, I swear, if anyone, you know, I avoid anything like Mexican drama type. When I say Mexican drama, I mean the Mexican TV shows. <laughs> Moving away from cartels. Like all these little dramatic things. I move away from these news. Epstein is exciting as fuck. Like the stuff I've been listening to and reading, 
man, this story is getting deeper and deeper. And I'm not talking about conspiracy stuff. I'm talking about things that, you know, just pure facts being released and leaks coming out. Like, has anyone, for example, also, have you gone, have you looked into the, how Epstein died or not? Can, can I tell you something, Mario, that will freak you out? I uh, was yes, at, an, I, I was at an event in the Hamptons. Uh, never actually said this in public, except the people that were with me. I was in an event at the Hamptons where Epstein, Trump, Sammy Sosa were together bidding on girls for rainforest charity. Hold on, hold on. Sorry, who who, who was who was there together? Uh, Sosa, Sammy Epstein Sosa, and Epstein, yeah. and Trump were at were at an event in a place called Willsdale Castle. It's like a, it's like this guy who's like the son of a of a banking tycoon. They were having an event where so they were so like So the uh, baseball guy, just sorry, the, the baseball guy. Yeah. yeah, the baseball baseball player. All right. Okay. Um, well, anyway, it winded up being like the craziest two days of my life where we winded up saving a girl from being auctioned off to some French guy, being chased by a madam who then was the daughter of like the top rabbi in New York. And I know this sounds like absolute craziness, but – You've heard me on the space. I'm a very rational person. This actually happened to me um, in the craziest two days of my life. Why were you there? At the time, my mentor was the largest purchaser of Ferraris in in New York. And Ferrari of Long Island uh, was one of the sponsors of this rainforest charity because what was going on outside was not what was going on inside. Um, so I was invited to this party and to get inside was 25 K to where this was going on. Uh, the reason why I was invited in is because the, the PR manager, uh, I think took a liking to me. Uh, although I am, I am straight. He, he was very aggressive and he's like, Oh, come inside. It's, you know, you don't have to pay to come in. Uh, I go to Philly all the time. So I'm originally from Philly. Um, it was just a very, very, very strange night. Cool, man. Well, and by the way, that, that doesn't mm. mean they were all part of the bidding just to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. I'm not saying, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying he bid. I never saw Trump bid. I never saw Epstein bid, but those men were there while bidding was taking place. Just to be clear. Jesus, man. All right. Well, you should you should uh, tell me more some of your stories. We could maybe bring them up in uh, relevant spaces because we're doing an Epstein space, and I had no idea you have the story. So it'd be good to to discuss it there. Um, all right, everyone. So we're gonna start doing daily uh, spaces like this. You know, we're planning to kick it off. Oh shit, two thousand people are already here. So we didn't plan this. So Mario, Mario, before before you start, yeah. though, um, so obviously this is the first space. Like, what's your what's your thought process behind doing this? Because this is a bit different to your normal spaces, isn't it? Yeah, um, I don't know, man. I'm like, why not do a daily space? And my team is like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So I, I don't have much thinking goes on behind. I'm, I'm like you and Joa. You guys seem like you think everything through. I don't, man. I wake up, I decide something for no good reason, write it down, go back to sleep. So uh, something's got to right, shit, so some my, things work out. <laughs> so my thoughts behind why I thought you did this was because you basically have seen that the mainstream media is basically unreliable and just follows a specific narrative. 
and you wanted to hold a space every day to provide people with a more of a holistic view of what the news was. Is that not the case? Yes, this is why. Yes, sounds much better than my answer. <laughs> no, so I. Uh, this is why I'm doing the space. This is why I moved away from crypto and covering this. Why I'm doing it daily is just to give it the real reason. It's not what you said. The real reason is just to. Um, instead of always waiting for breaking news and then come up with theme topics, it's like it's this interesting shit happening every day. Literally every day I wake up and there's just some cool shit, but not worth a whole space. But I thought if we put them all together, it's a good way to cover them. And then to the, the all the spaces we do is like balance. We have people on both sides of every argument that come up and including this panel right here. So it's kind of our thesis behind all the spaces. But the reason we're doing it daily is just as um, – yeah, cool crap happening uh, every day. Like we're in the midst of a war in Ukraine and um, where two superpowers, two nuclear powers are are directly or indirectly involved, depending how you want to word it. And then there's tensions with the possibility of a war. We did a whole space on it yesterday between two other superpowers. One of them is the same, which is the US, and the other one's China. And there's um, very high tensions there. I think this is the high – it's been decades we haven't had tensions that high relating to Taiwan. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. Um, yeah, and then we've got other other news that keep popping up here and there. Like in today's news, I did a thread on it. That's the last thing I tweeted just before the space. Um, I'm not sure if a person wrote this thread or an AI. I didn't write it. Um, but yeah, like just today, we're going to be covering escalations of the Ukraine war. We've got uh, China trying to, to lead the peace efforts in Ukraine, but then the US worried about China still supplying weapons to Russia. Not still, to start supplying weapons to Russia. And then the third one is you got the U.S. warning, yeah, the supplying Russia. Number four is Biden and the Surveillance Act, reauthorizing the Surveillance Act, which is really interesting because that's the battle between a security and um, a freedom. And then the fifth one is uh, Tate is back in the news with the reports that um, potentially he may have cancer in Slam, and you've covered this in depth. So you probably would talk a lot about this. And of course, uh, you know, there's no 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 day without Elon doing something. And uh, he had a few tweets related to AI. One of them being, I used something about, I used to like crypto. Now I like AI or something along those lines. And uh, yesterday, the day before, he talked about building his own version of chat GPT um, using Twitter data, which makes sense and makes Twitter's acquisition significantly more interesting. Um and then predicting that all cars in the future will be electric cars. So that's, that's a segment on Elon. So that's in one day. That's yesterday. So look at doing these spaces. They can go on for five hours. They can go on for 30 minutes, just depending on what happened in the day. Could give, even do like a 20, 30-minute one uh, to see if it goes well. That's pretty much it. Um, so, yeah, hope you all like it. Let me know in the comments, bottom right corner. Just let me know your feedback if you think it's a good idea. And then as we do those spaces, if you're uh, enjoying them or not. But um, I think we're ready to kick it off. Um, we've got Addy on stage. Addy, it's been a while. How are you? All right, you got to unmute your mic, hey, Addy. How's it going, uh, Mario? Yeah. Yeah, good, man. Good okay? good to see you, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, 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 I can oh, see you, Addy. Excellent. Yeah, good to um, see you. Yeah, I'd love to talk Epstein whenever you guys talk Epstein. Um, yeah, we've got to do a space on Epstein, yeah. The, the journalists kind of lean the way on that, so, yeah. Oh, wow. Great. I, had no, I had no idea. Let me, let me get the team to... Connect us directly so we can discuss it via DMs as we prepare for that space. Daniel, good to see you again. Thanks. It's good to be back. I appreciate being here. I should have invited you to the space yesterday. We covered the Chinese, China tensions, but we kind of pivoted a lot to Ukraine. It would have been good to have you. Um, we've got our regulars. We've got Emergent here. We've got Joa. Um, we also have Schizo and Troy are back. Schizo, Troy, how are you guys? 
I'm good, Mario. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Yeah, I'm uh, doing pretty good. <laughs> As well, just got done work. Good, man. Good. All right, bro. Um, I'm going to kick it off. Uh, so we've got the first piece of news. Maybe, Slamad, you want to read the first one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So the first one is about Russia. And uh, before I start, so yeah, if, from my perspective, what Mario said, um, that's the reason for this, this space. But more than that, we hope we can give everyone a holistic understanding of the news. And I th- we, you don't get that in the mainstream media. So tune in every day and give us any kind of news that you think is worth covering. Right, coming on to the first one. Russia on th- Russia said on Thursday it was fighting off a terrorist attack in the southern Bryansk region bordering Ukraine, where the local governor said a Ukraine sabotage group had killed one person and a news agency said hostages had been taken. Ukraine accused Russia of staging a false provocation. One, armed men from Ukraine killed two people and wounded a child in southern Bryansk, Russia which Putin called a terrorist attack. The armed men claimed to be Russian volunteers and called for an uprising. Putin vows to crush the Ukrainian sabotage group responsible for the attack, while Ukraine officials call the story, call all of this a story and a deliberate provocation. And yeah, we've seen this. Yeah, so so we've seen. What are your thoughts? Like maybe Slam and you can kick it off. And I know Troy, Kitsu, and Daniel will have a lot to say on this one, um, or even all source and emerging probably have more to add. But like, does that seem like like how can you tell if it's a what do you call it a false flag attack where you 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 fake an attack to um, to give a reason for something you've been planning to do? Um, for so- example fake an attack by Ukrainian soldiers within Russian territory to escalate the war in Ukraine. I'm just making up an example. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, we know, isn't it, based on prior wars and prior conflicts, this is possible. So it's possible that this happened and it's also possible that it was faked. So we know, for example, there's been previous uh, conflicts where there was claims of, for example, chemical attacks or even recently in this in this case where the uh, the um, the warhead went to Poland, and then the initial claim was that it was Russia, and then afterwards you found out it was Ukraine. Now that wasn't a false flag, but and then there's been previous false flags in prior wars. So for this, it's possible it could be a false flag, or it could actually be because these things happen in war. Yeah, jump in also, also and and, and skip Yeah, so so I'll go first, and then I'll pressure to to Intel. So I know this is a thing that a lot of people have been tracking in, in the groups that we're at. Uh, so just, you know, from the false flags, you know, yes. So Mario, for example, a perfect example of the kind of the things that we've historically seen that have been false flag operations uh, was right before Russia invaded Ukraine. There was a lot of videos coming out of Ukraine launching, quote unquote, Ukraine launching attacks into Russia, uh, crossing the international border. Uh, a lot of those videos that then they killed them and captured him and showed it. And, and, and blatantly obvious, you know, this was a false flag. You know, those were false flags. And this was over a year ago. However, I think this one, if you talk, especially I think Ocean Defender also tweeted about this. And I'll, I'll defer to Intel later. This does not appear to be one. I mean, the, the guy who did it uh, has is very public. He is part of the Russian Volunteer Corps that fights on behalf of Ukraine. Um clear you know he he's well documented neo-nazi far-right ideology um has been fighting on behalf of ukraine against russia and you know he's kind of one of those 
far fringe figures that really, although has very present in, let's say, Telegram, you know, hasn't really, besides that, hasn't really done much. And it does look like that, that he legitimately crossed into the border and, and conducted this operation against Russia, right? Which then begs the question, I mean, how did he do it? I mean, like, how does Russia, a country that is at war, allow, you know, a certain amount, let's say dozens of Russian, you know, Russian soldiers or, that, that support Ukraine to attack their sovereign territory for a duration of time? Um, I think if you I think Intel would back me up on this. And a lot of the accounts that track Ukraine, uh, OSINT community, they do not believe this was a false flag operation. They do believe that this was an attack. The question then goes back to, you know, OK, was this, you know, did, did the Ukrainian government support it? Was this more of a lone wolf? Kind of he took this decision on his own. I think those are kind of unknowns, but I would not call this a false flag. And, da- Daniel, I, I, do you, Daniel, Daniel, do you think that they could use this as a, a as an excuse to escalate the war? Or is it just a small event and we should make you should look in, look too deep into it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, in, in the small event category. Uh, I mean, it was a very small operation, you know, and who knows if that was even the target. To, I don't know why they would, you know, make this effort to go and kill some civilians. Maybe they were actually heading somewhere else. We got caught and then panicked and ended up shooting it out with some of these people. But the the, the reality is, though, it's not a big issue. It's something that's been dealt with. Uh, and, and plus, it, you know, all further augmenting against uh, you know, a false flag issue on the Russian side. They don't gain anything from this. Uh, and at least so far, they're not talking about escalating, though there has been quite a number of people on the on the far right in Russia that are demanding some sort of retaliation uh, against Ukraine for their, quote, terrorist uh, activities. So we'll, we'll be interested to see what kind of retaliation is because it, it will be hard for Putin to not do anything in response. Daniel, you said it's been dealt with. How has it been dealt with? Well, they drove the at least what the the uh, Russian media reported was that they drove the assailants back on the other side of the border and then hit them with devastating our uh, field artillery. Uh, so apparently they drove them out and then at least allegedly uh, shot them up. I, I don't have any independent confirmation of that, but that's that's how they claim that they pushed them out right away. Thank you. Yeah, so like all source was saying, it looks like this uh, incident wasn't a uh, false flag. So the video, uh, there's two of them. Of uh, There's three different people. Uh, they're just holding uh, the flag, and they're standing in front of a building. Uh, that video was geolocated in the town of Bernansk. Um, and these individuals are loosely affiliated with the TDF. Uh, and like all source was saying, the question becomes... Uh, you know, was this authorized? According to them, they say that they did get authorization by the Ukrainian government, and the Ukrainian government says this is a internal Russian issue, and we have no involvement with it. And then uh, the only thing that seems false flaggy about this is the response. So the FSB published a video claiming that they uh, killed some insurgents, and they had two vehicles, and the whole thing was just wacky. Uh, the FSB have a history of doing weird videos saying that they captured people. Like last year, they had the, the famous incident with the raid where they allege that they arrested a Ukrainian saboteur. And they're like, oh, look, see, he's the saboteur. Look at those three copies of The Sims. Mm. Emergent? Uh, I just want to say I think I'm, I'm mostly in agreement with All Souls and uh... – and uh, and so, but um, I, I think I would just add the 
maybe one of the criteria you can use to distinguish is what what really is the incentive? Which side had something to gain from from perpetrating this? Because it, it does fall in the category of pretty typical things that we see nation states doing during during time of war, sabotage and whatnot. Uh, I'd be curious to see. I mean, one of the examples that I would point to uh, would be the Kursk Bridge incident, where uh, the Ukrainians basically, you know, uh, sabotaged one lane of the the Kursk Bridge, and then subsequently is that, the, on, is that the bridge? Is that the bridge in Crimea? Correct. And then basically yeah. subsequently claimed credit for it in a in a tweet. So I would be um, I would be curious to see if they do that again here. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I would just say look at the, the specifics, the specific intel of the parties involved. And again, if there's video evidence, I haven't looked at that yet, but I'd be curious to see what, what there is uh, behind that. But I, I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with the other panelists. So I'll, I'll, add, I'll add another piece of news relating to the war as well. An explosion was heard in the suburbs of Kolomna, a city over 100 kilometers from Moscow. The explosion is suspected to have been caused by a drone, but there is no confirmation yet as no fragments have been found. Law enforcement and emergency officers are investigating the incident, and witnesses reported hearing a loud whiz before the blast. Wasn't there? Wasn't this blast also potentially linked to a um, a Russian airplane? Just the, the, the breaking the sound barrier. Has anyone looked into this? So, Troy, so have the, you, go ahead, also. Yeah, well, sorry, uh, I'll defer to Troy, but uh, I I think what we're starting to notice is attacks against Russia proper are, are becoming more reoccurring. And, and I think that this raid that we saw in Russia kind of ties into that. And I think from the Ukrainians' perspective, because it makes sense, right? Hey, you're hitting all our country. Hey, we can hit you back, right? We want to ensure that you understand that the longer this war drags out... But, did, but, hold on, war, but didn't Russia yeah. say that if there's attacks on their territory, that will be reason to potentially um, escalate the war and, and use nuclear weapons? They'd have to be no, making their ass What I've said no, could they, be... They, yeah, I mean, yeah, and, yeah that's the thing. They're, yeah, and, and no, because this has been... I mean, so it's more reoccurring, but it's happened in the past, right? And, and they're not going to just launch nukes to launch nukes because they want to launch nukes. Now, I, that, you know, and I think this issue of escalation, right? I think Russia doesn't need a justification um, to escalate any further or even more than they are right now. They don't need an excuse or a reasoning to do a second mobilization. Like the first mobilization happened because of military facts on the ground, not because, because of the Kharkiv counteroffensive where Ukraine sees significant territory. The Russians realize we need more people. If not, we're going to lose this war. So I think what's going to dictate things on the ground is military facts what i think the, the ukrainians are doing is to is this is more psychological more strategic more propaganda militarily is not that significant if anything is insignificant but it does provide the propaganda value for the for ukrainians to tell the russians you're in this war too the longer this drags out the more your country is also going to be a threat just like ourselves and that's na and that's natural in war but i, I think troy can probably provide more on that yeah what, Could, what i, I was going to say about uh, when mario was talking about the 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 nuclear doctrine. That's if uh, there's an incursion in the Russian territory, and and, and you're they're, they're, you have to be at the gates essentially. That's their failsafe, and they say they're justified by defending their homeland. We've seen a couple of strikes over the border, you know, um, from eastern Ukraine into Russia on uh, on infrastructure, um, and we don't know the order of battle. You know, between like like all sorts was saying, there might be a, an agreement or an understanding in place where. Where Ukraine is saying we're not going to tolerate, you know, unfettered strikes on our on our territory. If you have depots and logistics on your side, it, it's fair game. 
And I think the U.S. I might be I might be I'm not exactly certain certain, but um, I believe they have you know at least given a tacit you know approval to if it's not weapons we're supplying you with if it's your weapons you know we're not going to tell you what to do you, you know it's it's your war. So although there is a restriction for our munitions going on offensive into Russia, there isn't. And on the uh, on the uh, the terrorist incident or or whatever that incursion was. Um, yeah, it seems exactly like the kind of false flag uh, Russia would do. They haven't, you know, hesitated to do that in the past. Um, you know, going all the way back to the Russian, the Moscow apartment b- b- uh, bombings when Putin came to power. But uh, in this case, I, I think there's a third kind of scenario where this this leader of the nationalists, you know, he can go in, you know, deniably, you know, without asking permission. And then after the fact, you know, be able to say, you know, neener, neener, you know, you got owned by the Ukrainians and me. And, you know, if you're familiar, just to give you uh, a little bit of background, specifically on the forest where their this border is porous, and it has been since World War II, the Germans and the Soviets were having the same problems trying to keep partisans from sabotaging their infrastructure and their uh, their equipment. So um, if you think about like the, the forest of the Korengal Valley, it's locals that know the area. And, you know, even with modern technology, it's very easy for them to stock. And there are people with, you know, their own incentives in Russia on the far right to accelerate this war. If it means, you know, staging attacks or provocations on their own, either to, you know, to force Russia's hand and, and be more aggressive then, you know, they'll do it. So I think, you know, Ukraine is playing both sides. We really don't know what happened, but they're kind of, you know, on the one hand saying, uh, yeah, this is, you know, this, this happened, but, you know, we didn't have anything to do with it and someone's taking credit for it. So, you know, I think that's as much as we're going to know for now. I, I want to go Ghost and David. Maybe Ghost, you can go first just to kind of balance out the discussion. With with Ukraine, Ukraine seems to, you know, the audacity seems to be increasing and starting to... um you know, conduct attacks on Russian within Russian territory. Um, what's the strategy there? How far do you think they can go? Because uh, you know, one thing, we, one common theme we've had in this space is that how far can we push Russia before they they use tactical tactical nukes? Ghost. Hey Mario, uh, were you mentioning me? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I just came in. I thought the other guys go first. No, I just. Uh, I was gonna. Basically... I was gonna get David. I was gonna get David to speak, but I thought I'd bring you in just to kind of balance out the discussion because I know your stance. Well, well, maybe it's good because I have some additional context regarding the situation in Bryansk because I came over the profile, uh, Twitter profile, which is not very active. They have been very active, but they haven't uh, got any many responses. But they also use the logo that which was um, on the flag that the guys held in those videos. And basically, they outline their whole plan. And as it seems to me, uh, the plan was to occupy a certain territory, uh, have their own, basically, uh, checkpoints. And they even published some passwords that should be given to to pass through, basically. And then later on the 2nd March said, okay, these aren't viable anymore. So I think the plan was way more extensive than was put in reality. And, um, yeah, that's, Hold that's on, are we talking uh, about, are we talking about the attack in the Bryansk region? Exactly. Exactly. But that's just a small attack, wasn't it? Uh, how many men was it? Cause they just, they just killed two people and wounded a child. 
That's it. It just well, doesn't seem that's... like about them taking territory and, and putting out a border and requesting passports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, I can I can put the. Do how many men was I, it? I don't though? know how many how many men was it. Officially, it's speculated from fifty to seventy, but it's Russian information. It's oh it's wow, in a way okay, controlled. hold on. I, I don't know if that many, but the fifty to seventy people, and the only damage they could cause was uh, uh, in, in, in killing two people. This sounds odd. Well, I that's think what, what we what know of. To, uh, what you're so, so just to clarify, what you're trying to say is it was a much larger operation. That essentially failed, and so therefore it it looks a lot more smaller. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, because okay. they claim themselves to be a military administration of uh, Western regions. So basically, and they outline it here in Russian that they wanted to basically liberate in quotes the territory, and yeah, that that's what I and, think the plan was. Joe, uh, Joa, you put your before we go to David. Joa, I saw you put your thumb down. Um, maybe quickly comment, just keep it brief, because I want to move on to the next news uh, story, yeah, yeah. and then we'll get David's thoughts this, as well. This isn't the first time an explosion happened in that region. It happened in December as well. Um, I really believe this is an area of interest because of the the train yard there and the the how many uh, Joa, how many how, how many known um, attacks by Ukraine. Uh, on Russian territory, and I'm referring to Russian territory pre-2014, because I don't want to get into the whole discussion there, excluding the Crimea Bridge. Um, how many attacks has there been by Ukraine within Russia? And then including the, the territory that Russia and Ukraine are disputing, and I'm referring to Crimea here, uh, what attacks have we seen since the war began? And are they escalating? That's so, a really, that's a hard question for me to answer. Also, I, 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 I refer to all with Saki Air Base. Uh, David, David. Yeah, so just so give you a, a little context there. Yeah, in 2004, 2003, we had uh, the Orange Revolution that actually brought a lot of uh, demogra- uh, sorry, uh, democratic push towards Ukraine, uh, uh, the, the politicians, especially considering the 1994-1997 push towards Russian political systems, especially in the establishment of Ukraine. And this was a sheer factor and multiply uh, stated by Putin as to potential contagions of democratic pushes towards Towards Russia and why he necessarily needs to ensure the stabilities within these regions. But in this whole evolution, we also have the Euro uh, Maiden evolu- uh, revolution in 2013-2014 that had this intense push. And essentially, if we're going into the uh, Kharkiv agreement, and this is where the precedence comes into Putin's war, there was a, uh, a Svastopol had a 2000, uh, till 2042, a Russian uh, military bank that was going to be uh, enabled there. And uh, Kasnador is one of the most uh, popular and or business center of Russia in that sense. So in, in this reality, these are the formal tensions that we're seeing within uh, Russian statements and specifically Putin's articles as to the defense of this region. And if we go back all the way to September 29th, uh, 2003, the island of Tozula, so this peninsula between uh, Sastapul in the Black Sea and uh, Kanans, uh, sorry, Kansnador was this actual inter- Interaction, and we've been seeing consistent military activity within this region. And so to answer your question, Mario, yes, we've been uh, uh, continuously seeing activity in this particular region due to the Black Sea and how the supply chain towards Russian dominance is necessarily present there. 
And so, so Mario, what problem. I would say is that yeah. to, to your to your question specifically of the of like how regular, so there's artillery shelling in across Russia through the border like daily. That that is a normal regular occurrence. Russia Ukrainian artillery across the borders of the international borders, like 1991 borders, are very regular and constant. What we've seen an escalation in, or not maybe an escalation, let me rephrase it, what we've seen more and more and more, because we started to see later, like late last year, more drone strikes against Crimea. And that's kind of been also fairly consistent. What we're seeing lately more, and has been a little bit more consistent, is these reports from Russia of drones. Because in the past, what we saw is, you know, a hind, we saw this famous hind against a Belograd oil refinery that would go in. So a hind is a helicopter, you know, a Ukrainian helicopter goes and strikes it. Then a couple of weeks later, we might get reports of something else, maybe a couple of months later. Lately, at least maybe the last week or two weeks, there's been more and more and more, at least reporting of drone strikes into Russia, especially this week specifically. Um, is this just a, a, an uptick because it's, you know, we're kind of outside of the anniversary of Russia's invasion to Ukraine. So there's that symbology uh, uh, or is this now a new standard that Ukraine is going to do? I think this raid, you can also tie into it, but we just don't know if we have to wait a little bit to see if this is going to be standard or is but listen, listen. Also, look what my, look what concerns me. I'm just going to read out the next piece here. Viktor Sobolev, a member of the State Duma Defense Committee, said the following. And he's not the, the only one. Said that Russia absolutely, that's quote, absolutely needs to end the quote special operation and start the real war. I'll read out the exact quote. There are no red lines left regarding Ukraine, and we need to end the special operation and start a war. So what concerns me, and this is it came out today on War Monitor, uh, what concerns me is that these incursions by Ukraine from a from a from from you know the, the news might be it might give a boost to the troops, but beyond that it doesn't really help the war in it much. So, but so Mario, it could, Mario so, just to add, add to your point. So yeah, go ahead. The, the, the reason for that statement and it's important is because from the other side and just to add to Ghost's point the feeling amongst Russia is, and they believe they've got the evidence that this wasn't an incursion, but this was an attack uh, funded by the US and was basically commanded by Kiev. And so therefore, what the feeling amongst Russia is... Why? But the question is, why would they do this? Is just the, the risk outweigh the reward massively? Well, well, this is it, because this is the reason why Sobolev is making that point, because he feels, and maybe some within Russia feel that, Putin's acting a bit too lightly in the war in the sense of because and, and he said in the past isn't it these are Slavic people so uh, you know and so he has that kind of thought process and so what Sobolev's basically saying is look it's time to actually stop this special operation and actually go to war so, so anyway let's hear, let's hear other people's thoughts yeah. on this yeah uh, so the only thing I would war. say Mario yeah. the only thing go I ahead, would say is yeah the only thing I would say quickly is because I wanted to go to the speakers is do not put too much value in what Russian media, Russian politicians say, in the end of the day, their voice doesn't matter. It's Putin. The Putin is the is the ultimate authority in this, and maybe you can go a little bit down in his chain of command, but not much. You always see Russia media, Russia politicians. They they've been beating this drum of we. They said it the same after the sinking of the Moscow, right? Like I would not put too much emphasis in whatever Russia. This this is a special military operation in name only. Like it's a war for everybody else. I don't know why they continue to call it a special military operation, but if you look at Russia's laws and how they transition their economy and how they operate with the mass mobilization, they are in a war footing. 
already. There's not much else they can do. Maybe a second mobilization, but that's going to have a lot of issues anyways. And Emergent, what do you think, man? I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like if Putin is facing pressure from within his administration, a lot of people in Russia are not happy with the war. Surprisingly, though, I read somewhere that um, the, 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 despite conscription, Russians are starting to rally more in support of the war instead of going further against the war. And I think, I think that's the nationalism kicking in. Am I right in saying this, Emergent and Daniel? Um, I, the, the sources I've been following, uh, I'd say that's generally true. Uh, I wanted to weigh in here with, I, I wonder if, um, you know, assuming a, a Ukraine responsibility, or I wonder if the motive could be along the lines of putting Russia on a, on a footing of maybe uh, being more defensive in their thinking or having to occupy time, resources, attention, worrying about more attacks of this kind, maybe more of a psychological objective than an infrastructure objective. That that would fit, and that would make sense as an incentive for them to do it. But, uh, again, we Just based on what you said, I've got a question. So do you think that that then failed because apparently, the, I mean, if you look at the number of people who were impacted it was minimal. So do you think even if that was the objective, they failed? If so, then yes, I would say they did. And if it ultimately rallies Russians to, to support it, then yes. So it, it could be that type of operation. And if so, probably ill-conceived and or unsuccessful. Daniel? Uh, yeah, it, yeah to, to answer your question there, it, I think that part of the issue with, with the move, certainly a lot more than just this, this one politician, have been saying, let's just, you know, forget about this special military operation, go with a a declaration of war, because there has been a growing sense of anger and frustration among many in the uh, Russian population and and leadership, because they see this as the increasingly NATO against Russia war, and that Ukraine is just being used as a baseball bat against them, and it's not really anymore just them against Russia. And, you know, when we, you know, talk about we're now going to give you know, all these, you know, Challenger 2 tanks, Leopard 2 tanks, M1A2 tanks, uh, you know, all these things are coming later on. There's lots of talk about should we start sending F-16s or Mirage 2000s. Uh, you know, the, all those things continue to make Russia say we're, we should not just hold back and just try to get the Donbass. We should just do whatever we need to do to get our security. And, and so a lot of the talk is in that. that and that's why, uh, you know, people are saying this more out loud. And I, I agree with the, the other speaker there a second ago that what matters is what Putin's going to do. And he's been very, you know, pretty clear from the beginning. He's going to use exactly as much force as he thinks he needs and, and not going to go beyond that for, for reasons, you know, known up to him. But I think it's important to understand that this is a growing issue in, in Russia as they genuinely do feel. It's not just that it's a, 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 a media selling a story to the people, but they actually believe and they see a lot of tangible evidence that this is NATO against Russia. And they have you know something close to an existential fight that needs to be won. And to, uh, to elude that much. point. Sorry about yeah, that, Mario. But to elude that point, uh, in, in back in these Kharkov packs, essentially, we had this agreement with uh, these non-Crimean states. This was Sevastopol um, within this idea that NATO won't interact within this country until the uh, formal lease is uh, is resolved within Russia. And the lease was extended from 2017 to 2042. Now we're seeing articles and more precedents out of NATO saying it must end its current stranglehold 
hold within the Black Sea and Russian dominance in this association. But if we're looking at the historical uh, legal documentations that's represented as within these agreements and within the rhetoric that Putin is demonstrating, hence why we're seeing this potential uh, um, uh, conflict within, let's say, internal uh, policies within Russia and Putin's action is because legally speaking, he's continuously in accordance within the actual agreements that he's in place since 2003 all the way on to 2017. A question, very brief question, if you can give it very brief, because I want to move to China's involvement in this. Uh, schizo or Intel schizo or emergent, uh, is Putin facing resistance within, I know that you know, we don't have uh, much clarity on what's happening in the Kremlin, but is he facing much resistance from his inner circle? Because I know he was facing a, a fair bit of resistance in the early days of the war, and some left uh, Russia, some apparently died from mysterious circumstances. Um, but are we seeing that same amount of resistance, or are, are people within his administration also rallying around the war and around Putin, uh, considering um, the perception of NATO's um, stranglehold on Russia? There's been a little bit, I would say a little bit of pushback. Uh, not much, uh, the big thing that's been happening recently, uh, uh, has been, uh, internal power struggle between Prigozhin, uh, and Shoigu and some and of the other. Who are, who are, who are these guys briefly? Prigozhin's the, uh, the head of NATO. Or not NATO, sorry, Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the head of NATO. He got a promotion. Uh, no, so yeah, Prigozhin's the, uh, the head of Wagner. He's very public about his, like, thoughts like he regularly critiques uh decisions made by um the russian high command he's regularly critiquing putin and there's been a little bit of a power struggle over the past few weeks between him and the generals um there's been a bunch of decrees reducing uh weaponry and equipment to wagner they stopped doing the uh, bringing in new prisoners into Wagner. Uh, and they've been trying to reduce uh, Prigozhin's sway. They recently told Russian media outlets there was a new decree that came out saying that uh, pretty much if you're talking about updates in the in the war, uh, you can't talk about Prigozhin. Hmm. So, so, you, so like if Bakhmut falls tomorrow... And let's say Wagner's like, you know, makes a video showing that they drove the Ukrainians out. Russian media isn't supposed to even mention anything that Wagner does and not supposed to mention anything that Prigozhin says. I want to go to China's involvement, Slayman, because uh, that one's interesting. Because yeah, on one yeah. side, uh, I'll let you read it out, but like on one side, they're trying to broker peace. On the other side, Russia apparently has concerns of China supplying weapons to Russia. So what's the latest today? Well, with China, the, the interesting thing is they basically frame themselves as bastions of peace and uh, uh, prosperity in the region. So the China, Chinese foreign minister, Jing Zhang, Jing Gang, said in his speech that what China want is to maintain peace and prosperity with Russia. In addition to that, in regards to the Russian crisis, they support all efforts for peace and will continue to do so in a very Russian, constructive role. When you say... The Russian crisis, what do you mean? You're referring to the war or, or the economic well, yeah, yeah, crisis? Yeah, the Russian-Ukraine okay. crisis, there is, uh, they're referring to the war. And and then regarding the, again, continuing on with the Ukraine crisis, so that again, the Russian-Ukraine war, China saying that they oppose all double standards and any pressure for sanctions and that they will continue 
to do to to continue to exchange uh, with Russia and on all levels. So they're basically saying they want peace. Any any state statements about sanctions are double standards, and they will continue to uh, work with Russia in all, at all levels. And, and and what's interesting is that they did. Um... Uh, they did say a few days ago that they respect the territorial integrity of all countries. Obviously, in this case, it is seen as a as a as a, you know a, a way to support Ukraine's position. But at the same time, they keep pushing back against, and they also show understanding of Russia's position uh, and NATO's expansion. They've talked about this on a regular basis. But like, is the are they genuinely trying to broker peace, all source, or is it just? Uh, you know, trying to show them, trying to increase their, or try, you know, more of a PR campaign, PR stunt. I think for now, I would call it a little bit more of a PR or like, and, and, and I think this is a way that they can quote unquote, try to pivot from the balloon issue, right? And try to reassert themselves internationally to show a soft side. But I think it's a little bit more PR where I, I would give more credibility to China is if we start seeing not only Chinese officials meeting with Russia, which is very which is more recurrent, but specifically with Ukrainian officials, you start but seeing. But they did that, no? N- not, not, no, no. There's, not, dis- so oh, no, there's discussions of it. Discussions of. Yes, we, I, the, so if we start seeing, let's say, members of the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, senior officials of the ministry, Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs start heading over to China, maybe in their, their foreign advisor. If we start seeing many in the outskirts of like the UN, we start seeing Chinese Ukrainian ambassadors having conversations, then I would lend it a little bit more credence and believability uh, but we just haven't seen any significant push from the chinese on the international stage yet to do this and honestly uh i hate to be the bearer of bad news but ukraine and russia ha- are, are have no desire right now for peace treaty they both think they can fight this war uh we're gonna have to wait I, until probably i don't, I, the end I don't of the know war man anything. i was on the impression they both want peace but they want it under their own terms daniel what are your thoughts do you agree with all sorts? Yeah. is that a pr campaign by china yeah, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One is it's definitely a PR campaign by China because they want to position themselves as the, you know, quote, adult in the room and the, you know, the side that's actually looking for peace, not just trying to expand the war. And they're saying a lot of the things that many countries in the world actually believe. They like, look, just make sure that this doesn't expand make sure that there's, you know, nuclear safety is assured. Uh, and then that the, the economies are open back up and the grain shipments begin, you know, those kinds of things that that resonates with them as opposed to, you know, some of the stuff that the United States is saying, which is, you know, just will protect, provide weapons as long as it takes. And that doesn't even address a possible ending, which most of the world just wants to see the thing in. But it's also interesting that Zelensky said uh, just a few days ago that he wants to meet with Xi. So I, I don't think that he's just rejecting it out of hand. Uh, and that could be because he's starting to recognize that maybe his position on the battlefield is not quite so strong as he thought. And these ideas that they're going to push Russia all the way back to the 1991 borders is just fantasy. There's just no props prospect for that. And at some point, they're going to have to make some kind of a negotiated settlement. And maybe he thinks that he can get in on Xi and, and, you know, so it's not too much on the Russian side. That's probably what he's doing. Uh, Joa, jump in. Joa. And uh, Joa and oh, – dropped. Joa and uh, uh, the ghost. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I kind of See, Joe, at... by the way, Joe, I feel I – feel, I just want to add one thing. Like, I feel I'm the – again, I feel naive because I thought China's serious about this. China does want peace. They want their economic relation with Russia. They want Russia's economy to improve. 
Um, they might benefit, actually, they might benefit from the Ukraine war. There are benefits as well. Uh, U.S. is uh, distracted by Ukraine. They want to see how it plays out because obviously they have their own ambitions with China. So, uh, you know, I think both arguments make sense. But every country wants their economy to do well. And economies generally don't do too well when there's war. Actually, no, shit, I'll take that back. A lot of economies do extremely well. Uh, and in this case, China's uh, supply to Russia just improved because of the sanctions by uh, by NATO. So I don't know. Maybe the argument of, of China doing this just for the PR uh, could be valid. Well, I, I don't think it's just for the PR. I think I think they do want peace. But I kind of view China, Russia kind of the same way I viewed America and Saudi Arabia, right? They were arm lock and step, the largest consumer of petroleum and the largest producer of petroleum. Now you have China, the largest consumer of liquid natural gas, and Russia, the largest producer of liquid natural gas. And I've worked for a lot of uh, energy companies. Liquid natural gas is well known to be what's going to be the transition energy away from petroleum. We can't put everyone on on uh, solar or on wind right away. There has to be a transition energy, and that's liquid natural gas. And that's where you'll see a lot of um, electric companies are investing more in exploration in liquid natural gas because to transition, we will need it. So I kind of view them the same way Saudi Arabia and America. America would make statements in favor of Saudi Arabia, even if Saudi Arabia... Hey, and vice versa. Here, yeah, yeah, a call came in. A call came in. Um, America would make announcements in favor of Saudi Arabia, defending them even when they're wrong, and vice versa. I think the same thing is happening here. China does want peace, uh, but they want it the way Russia wants it, right? So Russia considers those territories to be Russian. Uh, that's the border they want to respect. They don't identify whether they think Crimea belongs to Ukraine or doesn't. They say they want the borders respected. And they're an ally of Russia, and that, and and they need to be. Uh, um, I, I want to go quickly to Emergent and Ghost. Guys, do you think China will supply weapons to Russia? Because that is a line I never thought would ever be crossed. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I think for right now, it kind of goes back to the, the first balloon incident. It, it's plausible that, that China did that mostly as a provocative stunt. And to me, then then making this statement in, in support of Russia, to me right now, it looks like it's posturing and even just them posturing, saying they're going to making a vague statement about supporting Russia uh, may may have an effect just on. I mean, it's even changing the discussion around it. So I think for now it's just posturing, but I'm sure if they're posturing, then they probably have a mapped out decision tree of, well, you know, under these circumstances, we might escalate to advisory support on these circumstances might escalate to that. I would imagine anything in terms of direct military support or material weapons aid would be fairly would be farther down that decision tree. Uh, probably not something they're going to do right away. Can I ask your opinion? Uh -huh. If if what about them providing money? If the question was about money, if they would provide money, not just weapons. Would your answer change? Sure. If I would, I would imagine they'd provide uh, advisory support and/or financial support. Uh, you know, 
probably economic support in terms of trade. I'd probably see those things occur long before weapons. But yes, if we were further down that, then I'd say more likely. Ghost, Ghost, do you agree with that? Yeah, Ghost, if you can answer that question, and in addition to that, if you can also tell us, because Blinken said that the U.S. may sanction China if it gives weapons or ammunition to Russia. So if you answer that question, and then in addition to that, answer this secondary question, that'd be brilliant. Ghost, Ghost? Did you want to unmute? Oh, sorry. Um, I, I, I didn't really listen to the question. But in terms of weapon support, I think it's more of a posturing position. I would agree with that. Because if they really wanted to provide weaponry and wanted to, there would be no problem to do it covertly over a third country or just bring it over the border and not do it officially, basically. So I think they just use it as a way to point out uh, hypocrisy because uh, Europe and America is basically supplying nonstop weaponry. And I think it also builds on the one point that Putin made uh, in a recent, uh, I don't think it was a speech, but he mentioned it recently, that because Western countries aren't getting paid for those weapons, uh, I mean, in, in the U.S. is basically working with a land lease, but I think European countries uh, are just donating them. He said those countries that are basically donating those weapons aren't getting paid for them, so it's not a normal arms deal, and they can be considered as basically parties to the conflict. And I think it's somehow also building on that point. So I, I would agree with the position that it's uh, posturing right now because just I, I also don't see the need for weapons. What Russian uh-huh. army needs is dr- drones um, that that the Russian army lacks of. But I think at the point right now, uh, um, the, the hole weapons. has been stuffed. Yeah, I think yeah. the weaponry, uh-huh. it, we got the most tanks in the world. Well, there I'll go to been, Daniel. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm going to go to you as well on this one. Daniel... Um, and then schizo. Um, Blinken saying that they will sanction Ru- uh, China if they do supply Russia with weapons. Economically, that sounds really concerning. Could we see China supply weapons to Russia? Will the US sanction China? And how could all this look like? Like it just keeps seem, yeah. it just seems like it keeps escalating. It's a this, that's a lot more difficult than, than sanctioning Russia uh, because our economy is so. I think it's going to look. If I'm jump in, I think it's going to look a yeah, lot ho- like. Hold on, Troy. Hold on, Troy. I'll, I'll give you the mic in a bit. Uh, oh, after sorry, so, go ahead, Daniel. Oh, good. Yeah, go ahead, that, uh, Daniel. Because the U.S. economy and China's economy are so deeply intertwined that you start throwing sanctions on them and you just start having serious impacts on, on American uh, businesses. Uh, and then, of course, on American consumers, and that stuff can have rebound effects that are that are not very uh, appealing to voters in the United States. And so, I think that they had to be much more careful about doing that. And you know, of course, that has you know double-edged sword there for China as well. So, I think that uh, it would be a big issue for them to do that, at least openly. Uh, but look, they they have some some motivation to want to help uh, Russia, especially if it keeps us tied down if it keeps costing us things and, and works against our interests. You know, they have a motivation to try to move in that direction, but they want to, like they have done so many times in so many different areas, they want to walk that fine line towards, you know, pushing, but not too far so that it, it, it spawns these kinds of things. But I think it is possible. Uh, but I think that it would, it, the, the circumstances would have to change a lot, that, uh, namely that maybe Russia would be in a, a, a threat militarily of, maybe not winning or something like if enough weapons came in from the West, you know, potentially they 
would do that to save Russia if they thought they were losing. But right now they're not. Russia's not suffered like that. In fact, uh, with the likely fall of Bakhmut within the next day or two, they're continuing to, you know, however slowly move to the to the west. Uh, and unless that changes, uh, China has no need to do that and take that kind of risk. Um, Daniel, you agree? Uh, sorry, Daniel, uh, just based on what you said, sorry, Mario, just uh, based on what you said, because you said that one of the things that will stop the um, U.S. from engaging in sanctions is the fact that it, the negative impact it'll have on the American people. But then they've not considered that when it comes to the Ukraine and Russia war, where working class Americans are struggling significantly. So is it the case that it's much worse? Is that why? Or it, like, yeah, yeah. It? Because what the, 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 the problems and the rebound effects we've been suffering from the Russian sanctions are a lot more opaque and, and not direct. But because there's in our total uh, trade with Russia was comparatively quite small in relation to how big it is with Russia, uh, with China. So it, there was, the impact would be a lot more direct. And I think that would, that's the big difference. Yeah, Can I'll, I quickly jump in? What about Europe? Could, could, uh, because I think uh, if, if sanctions will be discussed, that Europe might be uh, pushed to, towards sanctions first. How would that impact Europe? Sanctioning China. I, I would be surprised if, China, if Europe doesn't sanction uh, China because Europe is... Uh, they want the war to end just as much as the U.S. and they, I don't think they'd be too, they're supplying weaponry to uh, uh, to to Ukraine as well. So I'm not sure what you think, Daniel, on that question. But would Europe participate in the sanctions on China? I, I mean, you know, just looking at the history, they they probably would because we would try to coerce them. We don't want to do it by ourselves. And uh, you know, China has been courting uh, uh, Europe, you know, to get more business, and you know, just in the last few days, in fact. And so they they don't want that to happen, and they want to give Europe every incentive not to want to put sanctions on there. So that would be a, 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 a pressure. And I doubt that Europe would want to put sanctions on China because they, they want to do business as well. And uh, I think they hope it doesn't come to that, I would bet. Schizo, what, what are your thoughts on this before we move on to the next story? Yeah, so one of the, uh, this kind of flew under the radar until um, earlier this week, but the sanctions package, or sanctions package that was announced on January 23rd, one of the entities that was listed on that, uh, sanctions list was a company called Spacey, uh, Space T. Uh, that's the English name. It's a uh, Chinese, uh, satellite company. And this company, according to the Department of the Treasury, the reason they put it on the sanctions list was for providing, along with its subsidiary, Space T Luxembourg, was for providing, uh, SAR imagery to Wagner and apparently has been routinely uh, been requested by Wagner to get satellite imagery of Ukraine and then using that in their <clears throat> combat operations. And in this uh, sanctions package by the Treasury on the 23rd, they, uh, they specifically called out this company, which has ties to the Chinese Academy of the Sciences, which is you got some background noise, man. Not sure. Yeah, um, collecting sap for maple syrup. Yeah, this company is linked with the uh, Chinese Academy of the Sciences, which is the same company agency that does the balloon research and is affiliated with the Chinese Army. 
Um, all right, man. I'm going to go to the next story, if you don't mind, Slime Man. Uh, we've got the – so we'll kind of move away from Ukraine here. Mario, do you mind if I ask just one question to Daniel yeah, considering ahead. his statements? It's just related yeah, sure. to – yeah, I, I was just curious what uh, sanctions would impact based off of our unreflexive and unsophisticated foreign policy currently established within, let's say, economic uh, sanctions on Russia. And then equally, like when we're looking at the arms trade that was established in 92 by China, we know that they've been formally – uh, supplying, let's say, Iran, Sudan, Myanmar, Nepal, and all of these other formerly, let's say, uh, conflicting governments, right? And essentially, the U.S. has been noting this as a problem for a long time. And before you answer uh, that, Daniel, yeah. uh, David, I want to ask you a question after Daniel. What will happen to the U.S. and the Western economies or, or to the world economy if the U.S. does end up sanctioning China, and how would that look like? Because that's what worries me. I did a tweet about it a few days ago. But, Daniel, I'd love you to answer David's question first. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm honestly not sure what, what kind of sanctions they would attempt to put on there. I, I'm, I'm uh, just generally speaking a, a big opponent of, of our sanctions policy because we throw sanctions around left and right with no idea what they're supposed to accomplish. We, we want to do it for punishment, but the whole point of using sanctions is supposed to influence the behavior of another side so that their power really is in their lifting, that if you you know, do the things we want here, we'll lift it. But we never do that part. Uh, so it's just a, an easy, really reflexive, non-thinking tool that I, I think rarely works to our benefit. And so I, I've not heard any specific uh, targets that, that might be applied here uh, but you know, especially if you're talking but the about sanctions, weapons, I, but Daniel, do, do they even work anymore? Like we saw, the sanctions in Russia did not have no. the impact that people expected. Europe wasn't impacted no, as much not. as people expected. No, that, that, that's that's why you know that like the sanctions and the threat of these you know unprecedented sanctions is going to stop Russia from invading. Of course, it didn't have any impact because they're going to operate in their national interest. It had no impact. Has had no impact in Iran for for what decades probably and the, uh, you know a lot of these sanctions we've had on china already during this trade war and you know about going back to the uh, uh, trump administration and others now they don't have any impact that's that's the i wouldn't say would you do you mind would you would you agree that it has little not as much impact as as uh the u.s would like not no impact at all because the u.s is in you know the u.s economy is contracting well, let me, let me there's long-term effect let me not let me replace that not that there's no impact but that there's no positive result it doesn't accomplish okay, yeah. what you want it to. It does have an impact, and that's that's the negative part of it that I don't like because it ends up like this stuff. A lot of this stuff, both with Europe and the United States against Russia, all these sanctions we've had over the last year have probably hurt our side more than the Russian side. And that's exactly it. And when we're looking at historical uh, precedents, and I'll keep it really synthesized in that sense, historically, uh, uh, sanctions have had uh, the reverse impact, economically speaking, especially when we're bringing in Iran and this current situation within Russia. It brought in capital controls and already 70 percent of their economic supply chain had been reduced and externalized outside of European uh, and or sanction imposed type uh, countries. And this is where it becomes conflicting, because if we go into sanctioning the Chinese uh, supply chain, one, as Daniel has alluded to, it's going to dramatically impact our abilities to export our, let's say, uh, tasks and or uh, real economic needs within, let's say, mineral, uh, mineral needs and or other forms of development needs. So let's say Apple and Tesla won't, will no longer be able to produce as easily as they are. And then long story short, they are already alluding to closing their economies within 2016 rhetoric, within military arguments in Chinese ideas. 
And so by this, it would just expedite their uh, external closing of their economy because they allude to the uh, Japanese uh, closing of their economies back in the 18th century. And they want to build their economies to sustain this level of exclusion within worldwide economy. And this is just me paraphrasing specific wording that G is now using. And so it would expedite this type of maneuver and we would just see increased geopolitical tensions and economic tensions. Thanks for that, David. Just so changing direction slightly, Biden has said that he's finally going to visit East Palestine, but hasn't said when. But this is a question to you, Aaron. Is it too little, too late, or is it? And has and, and does this look bad for optics, or is it fine? And he's he, he's he sent other people in before, and now he is going in himself. What do you think? Yeah, Aaron. I'll, I want to add on to the question as well, Aaron. Uh, first, can you hear us? Aaron, you need your mic. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, are you what are your thoughts? On... Yeah, no, no, to you, Aaron, <laughs> to you, Ben. Cool. A long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean... um, yeah. So, so regarding Biden visiting East Palestine, um, yeah. I, I, what I like, I just don't understand why is it so important that he visits it. Okay, we can attack him for not visiting it, but like he, that doesn't change anything on the ground. I think other things are needed for the cleanup there. Uh, rather than just Biden visiting East Palestine, I think when he when 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 people were criticizing him for that, he was in Ukraine, which obviously yeah. uh, symbolically had a lot more impact. Well, I agree. I think him visiting now would be too little, too late. Um, when a visible, known leader shows up at a site of a disaster like that, um, you know, on the one hand, it, it can actually get in the way of certain response efforts, but also there are people in that situation that need to know that those in authority recognize what's going on here, see that it's important, care about us enough to show up, get on the ground with their boots and take a look at what's going on. And, but I think that needed to happen really right away. And if Biden's in Ukraine, he needs to deputize someone who's a well-known public figure, whether the vice president uh, or the secretary of one of the major departments, transportation, you know, would have been a reasonable one, but uh, Mayor Pete, I think it took a little too long as well to show up. And already there were others on the ground trying to get efforts going. And so it's it's not about needing to have a political leader there to get things done, but it's about needing to have a political leader there because it conveys a message to the people of that town that you matter. You matter to us. You know, you may not have voted for me for president, but I'm the president. Uh, for you, because I'm the president of the United States, not just people in red states or blue states or red counties or blue counties. And I'm here for, you know, anyone who's uh, who needs help at the federal level. And this was a disaster that did require help at the federal level in terms of assessing, you know, the nature of the problem, protecting people from harm to the extent possible, bringing in the resources to do the cleanup and make sure that the environment there um, gets back to a, a healthy state as quickly as possible. So, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the one hand, I, I suppose I'm glad that the president is paying attention to that town now. But I think in terms of what would be helpful, what would have been helpful to the people of that town, the opportunity had probably already passed. And at this point, it's probably best to let the ongoing efforts just uh, run at their own pace. Yeah, and there's this for the audience. We're going to do a new space on East Palestine. Nick, who's still there. Um, the stuff that he's found, I don't, I don't know what he's going to allow me to disclose now and, and not disclose yet. 
But the things he did, the information he got, that's not public. Nobody knows the discussions he's heard, the things he's seen, he hasn't shared yet. Um, it is is insane. It just shows first how far. It's like Nick is creating his own version of uh, Project Veritas there, and um, uh, the, the 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 impact, the the amount of damage that was done is uh, significantly more than what's being reported, at least based on Nick's report. So this is something we're going to be covering later in a space that we're preparing for. Um, before we continue with the next story, I do want to go back to another story that's linked to the Ukraine war, um, and that's regarding regarding sanctions, Daniel. Uh, was talking about sanctions earlier, and I'm going to read this out. Two U.S. nationals were arrested in Kansas for sending U.S. aviation technology to Russia, and that was by the by Matthew from the U.S. Commerce Department. And that's fascinating because it reminds me of the the movie War Dogs. And and I was meeting someone, and and they were telling us how that was a, a while ago, and how they supply. So I'll tell you this interesting story. Uh, airplanes, um, so so aircrafts. Cannot be, you know, there's very strict controls on, on supplying aircrafts who you supply them to. And there's a lot of, uh, KYC that needs to be done. Know your customer. And then, then, and then he's telling me how there's some people trying to sell aircraft to, and not only aircrafts, various equipment and stuff to Russian nationals, uh, through various other, various corridors. And what, one thing I've learned is that whenever there is sac- sanctions, for, for entrepreneurs, for investors, that, show, that for them, they see it as a business opportunity. Finding legal means to supply the demand that is not being met because of sanctions. Now, we saw the story of these two Americans. So they've been arrested in Kansas for supplying um, aviation technology to Russia. And um, they're going to they're be charged with several offenses, including conspiracy, exporting controlled goods without a license, falsifying and failing to file export information and smuggling goods contrary to U.S. law. So they've done it illegally. There's a lot of people that find loopholes whenever there's sanctions through legal means. So anyone that gives me more clarity on this, I'll be, I'm fascinated by it. And another thing as well that I've, I've, I've been learning about is how um, vulnerable the U.S. is to technology theft. We've seen a lot of U.S. IP um, get sent to China, illegally sent to China. And we've seen as well U.S. microchips in Russian weapons that is being used in the Ukraine war right now. So it's a fascinating um, web, the uh, web of sanctions and different supply chains. And it kind of goes to Daniel's point that sanctions don't have the impact. And emergent, I'm just going to bring you back up, don't have the impact that the U.S. would like whenever they they implement them. Not sure if uh, emergent or protocol or, or, or anyone else, since Daniel just dropped out, uh, has more clarity on sanctions and um, why they're not having the, the, the impact that the U.S. would like them to have. Yeah, because they are adept at evading them, right? You're seeing blending in North Africa, India. You're seeing arbitrage. Go look at India's oil exports. Look at China's. Uh, they're still buying Russian oil. They're just having to wait a couple more steps and have it travel to different means to get there. I mean, that's what's going on. Yeah, currently 70% since 2019 of the oil markets and LNG pipelines from, let's say, Russia have already been mitigated and uh, attempted to, let's say, externalize their dependency on European needs. And then from there, when we're looking at the whitewashing of oil or Russian oil going into European countries, it's actually extraordinary. And this explains, in fact, the actual price differences and the the, the, uh, differences in, let's say, different distilled values and 
premium values between, let's say, diesel, gas, and other forms of uh, distilled products. And I think that it's an interesting situation when we're looking at the supply chain. Yeah, I pinned some stories up there, Mario, if you want. They, they touch upon, you know, operations running out of North Africa, running out of Spain, etc. I mean, you're having a lot of countries. Uh, since the war started, all, all of a sudden they're net exporters of a lot of Russian commodities. Uh, I'll go to the, Mal- to the Malawi the, to be specific. What to be specific, Joa? What did you say, Joa? Joa, you're muted. Can you hear Mal- me, anyone? Yeah, yeah. Mal- Malawi. Malawi. What about it? Okay, they're what becoming about a huge player in North, in North Africa, trafficking the 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 uh, energy from Russia. Malawi, really? Yeah. Which is strange. Is, is, the African, is, the Afri- is the African economy benefiting from all these sanctions? They would be, no? No, because they're having to compete for their commodities with... Uh, oh, no, no. Yes, yeah, so the, Africa wouldn't benefit. Sorry, sorry. Africa wouldn't benefit because now there's, an, there's too much commodities in the like market. Like South Africa is supply. having rolling blackouts. The, so the countries that are demanding... So country, yeah, yeah, so I'll rephrase it. So Africa wouldn't benefit. But countries that are... Um, that are that need those resources and that are not part of NATO, of course, they would be benefit. India would benefit heavily, no? They need it for yeah, their economy. Yeah, non-aligned countries. India is benefiting. Uh, you're seeing North Africa pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they can benefit. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, for basically, I mean, Yellen told uh, India, and I can pin the story up there. She said, listen, you can buy as much Russian energy as you want. Just don't use U.S. dollars and don't use you know, Western insurance. And uh, they've moved the trade at a dollar denominated trade, and they. Uh, but why? They hold are, on. Why is Yellen? Why is Yellen okay with this? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, that's why I look at our foreign policy. I'll, I'll put it up there. But yeah, I have no idea. So that that's public. That, that was a public. It's public information. It's a fact. Yeah. It's not like someone said. Someone heard Yellen say this behind. Oh the no, scenes. no, she said it outright. Yeah, it's a fact. Okay, that's unexpected. Um, I'll go to the next story. I'm moving away from now. Finally, completely moving away from Ukraine. Um, there's an earthquake in in um, in. I'm not going. This, I'm not worth talking about in Vanuatu, but not worth talking about because I don't think there's many deaths there. But the, since Turkey, everyone, whenever there's an earthquake, people are um, discussing it. There's a lot of damage, so our thoughts are with people in in Vanuatu. Um, I want to talk about, before Elon Musk, uh, I want to talk about Section 702 by Biden. Slayman, can you tell us more about this? Yeah, I think it's major It's major news and it's kind of been not talked about enough. But basically, Biden wants to extend the full electronic surveillance. And it says of foreigners outside the United States, which is basically the basis of the policy. But what we know is, from reputable journalists such as Glenn Greenwald, this surveillance has been used against Americans. And so it's been, you know, tracking their calls and so on and so forth. So the fact that this is being extended is, again, another example of Americans Americans being surveilled and also losing their freedom and liberty. So that's the story. So I guess we'll let's, let's talk about some thoughts about it. So what, what are the... Yeah, so so uh, can anyone... I want to uh, play devil's advocate first. Oh, not devil's advocate, because it's, it's a good argument. So not sure if all source or Aaron um, could give us some of the... the why is such a surveillance needed? What are the benefits um, yeah. of what many Maybe. of us consider an infringement on, on, uh, on our freedom? Yeah. 
Maybe first, Mario, if you don't mind, I would just like to give a couple more examples to set context for the story of what surveillance is happening. And then, you know, we could we could have the, the debate about, you know, whether it's good or bad and where and how it should be used, um, because I think there's a lot of folks that don't understand the degree to which they are being surveilled at a, at a pretty micro level, even in cases where they think they may be op- opting out of that. So. Just going back to the last three years, the surveillance ramped up quite a bit during the pandemic. So we saw out of Israel, Israel passed emergency legislation allowing the Shin Bet, which is basically their version of the FBI, to extract track and trace data from cell phones during the Omicron variant wave to basically monitor COVID contacts. And that they were going to do that for the entire population, whether people wanted to opt in or not. Now, they at least did that publicly. It was passed legislatively, you know, from elected officials who could be voted out of office. We found out a few months after that, that Canada had been doing the the same thing, but without notifying, uh, informing, or gaining consent from the population, even though Justin Trudeau earlier in the pandemic had promised the Canadian people they wouldn't do that. And then in May of last year, uh, Vice broke the story that the CDC was doing the same thing. They were extracting track and trace data from cell phones to monitor during lockdowns and school closures, how many people were gathering at a school, how many people were gathering at a church. Now, that data was supposedly anonymized, but there were some researchers from Princeton that showed pretty clearly that with only four data points, you could identify the specific individual to the, you know, to the, the anonymized number used in that data set, set. So the data wasn't really anonymized, uh, or at least it wasn't secure in that regard. And the CDC also admitted, as did the Canadian Public Health Agency, that they were going to continue this program even after the pandemic. They were going to, they were going to apply it for other public health purposes. And the, the, the examples they gave was a pretty expansive notion of public health, you know, and, and what public health agencies should be responsible for. Um, so, you know, that's an example of a it, not even the intelligence agencies at work, although they probably had a hand in coordinating this. But um, but in this case, public health agencies utilizing this kind of mass surveillance technology uh, w- without going through the usual democratic process of, you know, publicly passing a law or having a public debate about the pros and cons of surveillance and when and how it should be used. So I just want to add that to the latest story about, um, you know, Biden's executive order, because uh, I I think there's a lot of folks that don't understand the degree to which this has now become normalized across sort of multiple domains of the federal government. Thank you for that, Aaron. Yeah, I think that's eloquently put. And just to add to what Aaron said, that surveillance that he's given an example of happening since covid when it comes to the United States, it has been happening since 2005. So, for example, when Bush and Cheney authorized the NSA to spy on the international calls of Americans without a warrant. Um, and then back then what they did was retroactively try and backdate that law to, to basically allow or legalize the spying that was happening. So this is very big. It's very huge. And it adds to this kind of like um, big brother society that we're in. So um, all sorts. What do you think? I mean, it's much worse than that. I mean, the whole act needs to go. 
I mean, these are secret courts where you don't even get to defend yourself and they get warrants out on the person. And this was weaponized against a, a candidate for a major presidential party and the president of the United States. The FISA warrants false evidence was given to the courts. They approved multiple warrants based on a lie, based on altered emails, based on uh, exclusion of evidence in regards to uh, a political party and foreign intelligence operatives in the Russiagate hoax. This is what the court was using. It divided the entire uh, United States, and that's because it, it was allowed to be done in secrecy. And this is a big problem in regards to also, uh, you know, warrantless collection of American data. You know, if they, how loosely they define terrorists now, anybody who's in the center, uh, you've joined us now on the right. You're basically a domestic terrorist. I mean, this is going to be weaponized against you. It already has. They don't even have the authority, and, and they've done it. Yeah, just for our audience, too, if you're not aware of FISA or the FISA court, so FISA is the Foreign Intelligence Service Act. And basically what happened was the intelligence agencies said, you know, if we need a warrant to basically spy on someone or, or, you know, gain access to otherwise secure data in order to track or monitor someone's movements or whatever, we don't want to go through the regular courts because then our cover will be blown. And so the federal government created these literally secret courts. Um, I, I believe it's a, it's a federal judge. Uh, it may even be a Supreme Court judge that oversees the whole FISA court system. But in practice, they become a kind of rubber stamp operation. First of all, because they're not public, there's no oversight or scrutiny. And, and the other thing that happens is the intelligence agencies basically hold it over the, the judge's head that if you don't allow us to do this, you know, and some building gets blown up, that blood is going to be on your head. So it's always, you know, if you want arguments in favor of surveillance, they all, they, they always sort of move along. That but, but the regular system right? works. The good enough. Even when you look at the Department of Homeland Security before it was created, both the FBI, CIA and other intelligence agencies had information regarding the plot of the terrorists. The problem is, is there was no cross-channel communication between the agencies, and they were allowed to basically slip through the cracks. Uh, this is, you just have to enforce the laws on book or on the books or curtail them. But the invention of these new apparatuses that have never existed before and take into account no constitutional safeguards or no American jurisprudence. I mean, I think we need less black sites in the former Yugoslavia. And on Prodigal, floating, I've, I've, floating Prodigal, Prodigal, I've got uh, I've got a question for you and Aaron on this point, and then I, I want to get all sources thoughts. Uh, what can they? I, I was asking my team, what can they access? Like how on my phone right now? What would they have access to if I was in the U.S.? So everything, they, the emails, your entire phone, yeah. any contacts. Oh, let's go, let's, go, let's text, break it. Let's break it down. Let's break it. Break let's it break down. it down one by one. Yeah, let's. Mario, make, I'm really curious. This they, is fascinating. They can have access, obviously, to your location, um, to the people that are around you, like within. Even if I, so Aaron, just on the location, I want to go a bit deep and granular. So location, if I turn mm -hmm. off my location on my phone, could they still access my location? Yes, absolutely. Your, your phone is still extracting uh, and tracking data, even when it's fully turned off. I have a friend who basically, um, you know, had an expert hack his, his iPhone and make it um, unsurveillable, at least as, insofar as that can be done. And basically what he said after that is the battery on my iPhone, and he's a busy CEO. He said, the battery on my iPhone now lasts about seven or eight days with continuous busy use. 
I, 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 most of the drain on the battery, most of the energy that the phone is consuming, it's using when you, when you're not even using the phone, right? You notice your battery kind of, kind of drains, even when you're not using the phone, if you don't plug it in for a few days, the, the phone is very active and it's very active even when you fully power it down. And so, yes, they can extract location data. They could turn on your microphone, even if your phone is turned off. Um, they sorry, can... sorry. All right, let, let's go. This is crazy shit you're saying. So I want to understand. Yeah, Mario, you're up to location. horrible. They, they got you a while ago. Man. They got everything. Okay, so so it was not much to get with me, but they can, they can take it all. Um, but <laughs> well, I, 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 I would just let's go into the first point. Location. Who isn't that? So let's say I have, I have an iPhone right now. In my location, that data is either with the whenever I authorize an app, they have access to the location. The location is on my iPhone. This is data that Apple controls, correct? To an extent, but you know, look, the NSA can get a backdoor to um, to all of this, and your location can function really in multiple ways. So the phone, the phone can utilize GPS technology uh, to access your location. The phone can also utilize basically triangulation between different um, internet servers. You know, you guys remember when the Google cars were running around a few years ago? Um, Basically for Google Maps, gathering data, like, you know, taking Mm -hmm. street view and camera and so forth. One of the things that Google was doing at that time with those cars is they were they were mapping the location not just using GPS, which would not have given as sort of finely gran, granular, granular and accurate location data um, as they needed. They were also basically tapping into any Wi-Fi systems and, and triangulating their location from local signal strength from Wi-Fi. And in addition to that, we found out later, and Google got its hand slapped, but not not very severely. They were also reaching in and basically extracting the payload from those supposedly secure Wi-Fi signals. Um, and so, you know, that was that was a private company that was so, doing so that going, work. Aaron, Aaron, let's go to the second one. They can turn on the, our microphone. Is that because I've heard this before? Mm-hmm. Is that a possibility? Is it factual? Because that's, that's too extreme. What do you mean they can turn on our microphone? They can turn, just, on, they can turn on your camera. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, all of this is technically feasible. You know, whether any particular government agency at any given time is going to want to do that is another question. But, um, you know, I mean, Snowden's revelations actually tried to blow the lid on this a few years ago. And very few people paid much attention. Uh, you know, if you read his book, you'll get more of a sense of actually what's feasible and what's possible. And that was what, six, seven, seven years ago when he blew the whistle over at the NSA. Uh, and things have advanced very considerably since then in terms of the amount of data that's gathered and, um, and, and it, again, the granular fine tuned level of detail at which that data can be analyzed. Linus, I brought up Linus just quickly, and, and I'll go to also. Oh, sorry, also, let's go ahead. Have you, have you looked into this? Yeah, no. What I would just say, like you know, from the capabilities, I mean, there's a reason why. I think the the example is why did Osama bin Laden rely on a courier, 
right? Any anybody with technology, you can't be hidden. They can access everything you have. Like this is that's just a fact of reality, and then you just have to adjust and accept it, right? No, the, but you assume. Well, also, I would assume that Apple uh, give it, getting a backdoor into Apple. Apple has that ability. I'm using an Apple device, but for Apple to give a backdoor to the government. That one, that legally one speaking, is... legally speaking, Microsoft and Apple will oblige to any formal of uh, any formal government requests, especially when it's coming out of the NSA. But what's what I wanted to add on to Apple, what happens is, and this is very under under the radar. MIT recently produced a study with the M1 and M2 chip, and they're looking at flaws, and it's called the Pac-Man flaw in that sense, where individuals are able to take access to pointers in the iOS, and the pointers will essentially delegate any. Form Formal tasks within your actual computer system. And there have been a lot of cases where cameras, uh, microphones, and or other forms of audio devices in the sense that your, your computer is continuously monitoring you in these uh, processes and it's continuously uploading this information to Didn't uh, Ring to have a big scandal with this too? The Ring security bells? Yeah, I think so as well. What scandal they had? Well, they were just completely hacked. They, anybody could use them. People, people were being the cameras that they put in for security were being put on them, and photos were taken, dark web, porno sites, etc. It was completely. It wasn't a good thing. Yeah, and look, but Mario, Mario for ten even... Bitcoin, I'll make sure that doesn't happen to you. Not, not even. Uh, uh, protocol, protocol. Hold on, protocol, protocol. If you could do what um, Aaron mentioned regarding uh, the CEO, he knows that had his phone hacked. And uh, remove the ability for for whoever to get the location and all that stuff. If you could dis- do this protocol, which you still didn't get WhatsApp, which you promised me you will. But if you could do this, um, you know you already come up on my stage all the time. But uh, you, you, I don't know. You can be co-host and mute everyone and talk by yourself the whole time. Um, Aaron, that, that yeah. So, so also actually before going to Aaron, also so you were you were talking about the capabilities. No one is anyone surprised about this. Is it just me? Like I'm I'm surprised. I know Apple has those capabilities, but I thought the system in the US there was wasn't there a murder a while ago, and the authorities I don't know who has background noise, but the authorities wanted yeah. access to an iPhone that, and that Apple was fought back. Mario, that was marketing. That was look at how strong Apple's being. They won't even cooperate with the FBI on this case, that was a, that was a marketing operation uh, to give cover to both the public and private entity in that case and to falsely reassure Americans that, you know, a good, well-meaning company like Apple or Google would never compromise your data, even in a criminal investigation. Um, it's, I, I'm sorry, but that was... <laughs> That the was marketing it. worked. Aaron. Marketing side. Here I am talking about it. Oh, Mario, yeah, I just say I think I think the yeah. standard procedure in every these spaces is like you're the one guy that is not tracking all this and all this space. All your all your guests are like, yeah, no, that's just totally normal. Like, yeah, totally this is expected. this is. I think this is why and it's like my spaces. What I do these spaces, I started them as I just wanted to learn shit. I started them in crypto, and now I'm learning stuff that makes me question. Uh, my 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 life, which is my phone, which I do everything on my phone. I'm literally talking to you guys. I'm just staring at my phone right now. I'm just thinking, he's staring yeah. back at me. Well, <laughs> I had my team. Aaron, I had my team. Hold on, hold on, Aaron. Just to tell you something interesting, Aaron. Before I go back to you, when I interviewed Hunter Biden on the show and things didn't go well and Fox was covering it, my team wouldn't talk to me. Not all my team, just some of my team members. No joke. And I was laughing at them making fun of them. They would not talk to me on WhatsApp anymore. They would only communicate to me on Signal and uh, yeah. just they wouldn't. we wouldn't make the same 
jokes that if they go public, I'll get in trouble. We wouldn't make those jokes anymore privately. Um, and now I'm thinking like I'm the idiot and they were right. <laughs> well, look. Uh, yeah, but seriously, get signal. You, you your, signal. Yeah, it's very funny to watch your reaction because 10 minutes ago you said, well, I'm not worried about it because I have nothing to hide, which is what most normal, decent people say, right? Well, you know, they want to extract my data, whatever. I have nothing to, to hide. But um, but then when you when you begin to wrap your head around the full scope of the surveillance and the full scope of what can be known about you at any given moment – People who have nothing to hide still have the right to privacy and the right to sanctuary, the right to be free from prying eyes. But they'll get you anyway, Aaron, right? People don't realize there are so many laws on the book. In certain states, if you collect rainwater, you go to jail. Like if they if they put a target on you, there's going to be one obscure law that is never enforced that will be selectively enforced against you. Let's say hypothetically, you treat trespassing like it's insurrection, and you will be the example made. But but, prodigal, Uh, uh, let me just let me just finish my point because I, I think it goes to this whole question of how is it that people are passive in the face of this growing surveillance state, and I think it moves along the lines of, of where Mar- Mario started versus where he is now. First of all, you keep the details you know, withheld from people. They don't know the full scope of what's going on, and you call anyone who talks about this a conspiracy theorist. Um, and then you, 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 know, you have nothing to hide, so what do you have to worry about is a great way to put people to sleep. Um, you know, Mario now wants his phone hacked and secured, as probably all, all of the people listening to this do not because we have something to hide, but because nobody else has the right uh, to to extract information in that way. And you can you can obviously imagine how bad actors could abuse that sort of uh, Aaron, power. Aaron, can they? So, Aaron, Aaron, can they? Can they access my WhatsApp messages? Uh, is encrypted. Yeah, Mario, I have I have definitive proof that uh, they can aspects. Of yeah, don't use that. Aspects of it. This came out in our Missouri v. Biden case, Mario. This is really interesting. So. So we subpoenaed information on uh, censorship uh, between Meta and the federal government. One of the things that one of the recent documents we got showed that Meta and keep in mind, Meta owns Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. Meta was censoring COVID related information, not just on uh, Facebook and Instagram, which I think wouldn't surprise anyone. These are people post things to these and they're publicly facing And you assume if I put something out there on Instagram, lots of people are going to be able to see it. Same with Facebook. They were censoring the sharing of information also on WhatsApp. And you say, okay, well, how did that happen? It says secure and encrypted end to end. This this seems like a private messaging app for my close friends, my family, the people I communicate with, you know, one-on-one or small groups. Well, the algorithm could identify things like the sharing of links. And if you shared a disfavored link to an article or video, you know, your Twitter space, whatever, then the uh, the app would limit the number of times you could share it. It would look like you shared it, but it actually wouldn't show up on the other end. Things of that nature. So no, hold on, hold on. So Aaron, I just, just want to. This is when we because we covered this in the Twitter files. Wasn't WhatsApp just censoring not the actual information you share? The ability to mass forward information, for example, you can only forward to five people or you can't forward yeah. to groups. So the, the, only, the only thing I have definitive evidence for is the latter. Um, I don't have evidence, definitive evidence yet that they could actually s- censor the secure and encrypted content that you typed into the WhatsApp message. However, I would be shocked if um, the NSA 
couldn't access that information if they don't have some sort of backdoor to even look at. Uh, How can you have ba- backdoor encryption? What am I missing? Well, every encryption has a way to be de-encrypted. That's how the other person sees it on the other end. So, um, you know, yeah, it's a matter of you, you cannot have someone. Key. Sorry, but you cannot have ahead, someone peeking in the middle. Sorry, um, you cannot have someone peeking in the middle. It's impossible. It's end-to-end encrypted. So you have to have the keys. The the only one I'm Linus. That's what she's saying. The only from. way. Yeah, the, but the back doors. How, how do when we say back doors? How do back doors work? Minus you're you're deep in the AI, deep in AI, and I brought you up for that reason. When yeah. people say back door, how does it work? And is encryption the only way to decrypt it? Uh, somewhere in the middle, of decrypting it is through quantum computing. Is that like the what breaks <laughs> everything? I, yeah, no, there's no con, con, there's no quantum computing involved here. I think what what could happen and and what might happen if NSA is involved is that. You know, the, the, the shared keys or the encrypted keys that live on my device, for example, if you and me are communicating, uh, they are not actually only on my device. They live somewhere else as well. But that's, you know, we're in gray territory. If, if we look at Europe, for example, where we've had EncroChat, which has been used by a lot of uh, Ill- Ill- illegal activities, right? They had to actually hack EncroChat to even be able to read back what uh, these individuals had been messaging uh, each other. There was no way for them to go through any of the smartphone providers. There was there was just no way to get any information out. They had to do a social hack. They had to get inside of EncroChat to be able to read these things. So I'm finding it very like it's fringe to to kind of like talk about the ability to Apple to see everything because it's not really that easy. Um, because if it were, then it would be more readily available for everyone to can, kind of consume on Thor or wherever to find this information. It's really tricky to do these type of decrypts. Is it possible to do it in a targeted way? I mean, if a government agency wanted to get some specific piece of information from some specific identifiable individual, uh, I would think they they have the the they have, especially if they have a FISA warrant, FISA warrants, I'm, I'm like sure they have a way to out. deal with the companies to allow them to extract that information. Uh, I, I would just be shocked based on what I know. If I want to go. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. It'd be great if I'm wrong. And Linus, I, to kind of add on, I'll let you answer this one, Linus. I've got another question for you as well from what Aaron said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think you're, you're you're wrong in the sense that like they they don't really so so my encrypted keys are not really stored anywhere else. Um, and, and and the only way I could think about this is if they had access to this secure enclave on device, but the secure enclave doesn't have connectivity to anywhere else outside of the device. That's why you kind of brick. Like if if you lose your your passcode to your phone, you're pretty fucked. No one can really get back into your phone. Um, not even Apple. Like it, it, it's not like there is a there's not even a physical hardware wire into the enclave. Like it's literally blocked from the rest of the phone. So you would have to like open the phone. You'd have to like physically change the structure of a silicon that's like sealed to, to get like that data out from the enclave. But then again, there are other components in the phone that you could like, you could get into uh, and some data could be saved. But I mean, it, literally if, if you fuck up your phone, then, then you can't really get your data back. So, so if you forget your like passcode, 
if you, you get your fucked. password to your phone, your no, Apple cannot unlock yeah, you. Yeah, you fucked. But 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 the thing is, like some of these things that we're talking about, we're talking about WhatsApp, and we're talking about sending stuff over. But, but no, you're also assuming that the phone is. Hold on, hold on, protocol, 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 protocal, protocal, right? Hold on, protocol. We'll give you the mic in a bit. Okay, yeah, go so, ahead. So what what we're talking about, like when we're sending data, communicating on WhatsApp, not, we're no longer in the phone, right? All, the data is being sent over there. It's encrypted end to end, so the, the data that's being sent cannot be peeked at. We cannot do a man in the middle attack. However. That there could be some instance where the receiving end, the keys are shared with someone else. So when the message has been received, there could be um, some sort of vantage attack or some sort of attack where we could peer into the data that's been sent. But there's no way to like punch it in the middle of the air and just grab it. You and can't have. It would... So yeah, see, so, yeah. So uh, and I think yeah. for for each message, Wait, just, just to be clear, you're talking about WhatsApp, right? You're not talking about actual cell phones. You're talking specifically about WhatsApp. No, you guys were talking about WhatsApp, and you were talking about like yeah, sending yeah, yeah. messages. But like on the actual device, like if you if you take my phone, my physical phone, and you don't have my passcode, you you will. It's impossible for you to get any data off my phone, right? So Linus, uh, when, when you so if, when you I, issue a warrant for surveillance, completely. you don't take the phone. The person has the phone, still uses the phone, correct? Um, I mean, if Iran well, has the capabilities to do this with their phones, there, trust me, the NSA and our own agencies here far surpass their capabilities. Right. There are methods, if I could hop in here, there are methods to scoop up data. And we've seen this for in U.S. cities, for example, in Boston, uh, through Stingray applications. There, there are technologies to be able to scoop up people's information, their data. So directly from your devices, as uh, Dr. So this Cariardi is, so COVID, is that just the Stingray, when you say Stingray applications, is that like an app you download that is designed to kind of, get data and, and send it through to the other sort of the other party stingray is that what a stingray is, application stingray is? is a hardware slash software application uh, uh, unit that can scoop data uh, on a massive level um, from uh, certain geographical areas so uh, we have seen this deployed in in uh, baltimore uh, for example uh, when there were riots there they had blimps floating around there, there have been many instances where Stingray, Stingray has been deployed by government agencies in certain areas to scoop people's data directly from their devices. There's many ways to scoop your data from your phone. And I would like to point out um, that Google itself um, got its seed money from, you know, it was InQtel, uh, which essentially was seed money from the CIA and NSA. So um, they, they created essentially Google, then they later, you know, tried to distance themselves from that. But the Internet itself has seeds in DARPA, which is um, the military, uh, you know, it's the defense, uh, uh, you know, program. It's like their their intelligence program. DARPA, I, would say, because I, I, I would say I would say if uh, if the CIA did invest in Google, but there's many others that invested in Google, doesn't mean they should have access to, to they should have a back door within Google. I think it's just it's a question worth asking, but I just don't think it immediately implies that they have a backdoor. Well, initially it was set up uh, for the U.S. Uh, intelligence agencies to control that paradigm, to control that space, right? I mean, you think they're just going to, you know, get in con uh, cahoots with DARPA to create the Internet and just unleash it, you know, uh, for everyone to share cat videos? Or, or are they going to use it to try to surveil, monitor 
uh, you know, and <laughs> assess information that's taking place. Like, are, are you is... familiar with with the CIA's LifeLog uh, project? And, and do you believe there's any connections to that in Facebook's founding? If you are, maybe, uh, uh, maybe no, I would like what, it, what what the Twitter files have shown here is that the big tech industries not only have become an extension of these government agencies, you know, but we know through prior investigations that they got their seed money from them. So um, this is this is a, a way to circumvent rule of law and privacy and everything like that to where um, I just personally believe that anything digital can't be hacked and cracked. And um, yeah, you, you need to be careful. It doesn't matter if you're using what you believe to be safe and encrypted whatevers. Like um, you're online. So, so could Linus, could just, I'd love, yeah, yeah Linus, jump in. I, I just want to touch on Stingrays because Stingrays is a, a very unique use case. And, and, and there's some merit to what you can do with Stingrays. So to just give an idea what a Stingray is, it's like a physical device. It's military grade. Um, it's basically done by DARPA, like was mentioned here. Um, but but it's, there's a lot of limits to what a Stingray still can do. So it can steal and sniff your IMSI number from your phone. It, it can read your text messages. If they're sent on a 2G network, keep that in mind. If they're sent through 4G, they cannot be encrypted. Same goes for email and voice calls. But what the Stingray tries to do, and it is a short radius device, right? You cannot deploy a Stingray and give it like a... a, a 50 mile uh, radius. It's like, it's going to work on, you know, four, three, maybe even, maybe tops five miles radius. And it forces all the active devices within the area to downgrade to 2G. Because when you're on 2G, uh, there's less encryption in the network. So you're more prone to be targeted with kind of over the air attacks where you're sniffing the traffic that's going on. So this is what a Stingray can do. But but you cannot have a stingray for an entire co- country. This is just not possible. We're, we're talking impossible so, technology. So Linus, I have a from a you know you're pretty technical and um, you kind of offer a kind of balancing perspective on all this. What what should we be concerned about? So for example, the ability to turn on your microphone anytime. That one for me sounded really really extreme. Um, is Even that if the phone an is NT- off, I would I would love to see like proof of this. I would love to see someone in the hacker community show that like and 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 publish it because i mean you publish it you you know it's gonna go wild right like if you have a phone that's turned off physically like turned off and you can no, pro- if it's turned on if it's turned on could they enable would would, uh, would would they be able to turn on the microphone would an application be able to turn on the microphone without authority anytime if the phone is on not if it's a third-party application from someone on an ios device for example i don't i don't know about android mm-hmm. but but on an ios device if a third-party developer has done anything, they cannot turn on the microphone without consent. Apple could. Apple have the opportunity, like the possibility to do this. Uh, and carriers can do things as like sending certain messages and message types um, that will push through any kind of si- situation. Like if there is an emergency, for example, you can get, I think you have this in the US where you can get le- weather alerts, even though there's like no cell signal, no nothing, you can still get alerts pushed to your phone. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, what you can do, but that's very limited in data. If, if you're talking about turning on the video, like the camera and start streaming that, like there, there's a lot of things that you, you know, I haven't seen anything in the security community about this where, you know, it's feasible. Like I, it would be everywhere. If this was possible, it would be everywhere because it, it's so, yeah, it's, it's a big thing, right? And uh, how this about is the, just a, uh, 
A really important distinction I think Linus made earlier was software and hardware in that sense, right? And I I don't know if Linus knows the Pac-Man because it's a hardware malfunction within the M1 chip in that sense and how they're aggregating their actual uh, nodes in that sense. And it allows for a deficiency within the actual iOS and the pointers and how anything is coded. But long story short, I was just curious as to what are the the fail-safes between software and hardware and what are the capability differences in these two nuances? And Linus, I'll add on to that question. By the way, I brought up Sibila, who is a technology consultant at Microsoft, so we'll probably get um, her perspective as yeah, well. Yeah, it would be nice to get her perspective. So uh, I just want to touch on Pac-Man. So Pac-Man is a, a, a very interesting case, and it's only M1 so far, as we're concerned, and M1 is not in any iOS device. It's basically the new Mac. So we, we got MacBook Pro and MacBook Air. Um, and it, it is an interesting vulnerability, but... It, yeah, that's what all all that it is. It's a vulnerability, and it's not so sh- sure yet what the, the the larger implications are for the, you know, for for everyday use. So, but no, yeah, we trust. So, but we are we can't we are kind of. But the the, the the is it a fact that we are trusting a few parties that have the ability to to you know Apple, for example, have the ability to turn on your camera, turn on your microphone. So we have to trust that there's no backdoor at Apple. And that for, in terms of the hardware, we have to make it to trust, in, and I'm using the, the term backdoor very loosely, we have to trust there's no backdoor within the chip. Because if, and I know this is you know sounding conspiratorial, uh, and we just don't know, but if the government does have a backdoor into Apple, um, or you know we're at world war and and or that we're at a war and and suddenly they've got more powers they've got a backdoor into apple and if they do get a backdoor to the chip manufacturer could a lot of these things suddenly become possible yeah um, theoretically theoretically yeah. i mean all they have to do is show the warrant and apple most likely comply like we don't know the scope of apple's compliance with federal agencies, like we're talking about all this hacker bullshit. If anything, we've seen with the Twitter files is that they comply overwhelmingly. At least one big tech company, and I know Apple, at least by political donations, was even more left than Twitter. So I mean, so we let's talk about James so, Bond, uh, this and that, but in the end, <laughs> they go to Apple, especially when they're in the antitrust review right now, and they say, so "Hey, let me, let me, uh, uh, I want this protocol. Let me, let me Apple's go. COVID app protocol. All right. So before going to COVID, uh, Sibila, I want to ask you that same question. Um, is the concern that we should have, um, instead of a concern on, on whether there's an application that has access, etc., it's mainly Apple and the chip manufacturers that have those powers. And all our concern should be whether they have any backdoor. No. Is that a good way to frame? <laughs> no. no. Actually, the concern you should be having is yourself and zero trust. So technology, it doesn't matter if it's broken or not. You can't guarantee if it's not our government that it's not going to be somebody else or just somebody who wants to steal your identity so they can take your financial um, wellness and make it their own. So uh, if you look at through history, though, I like to show so um, the capabilities uh, through gap analysis of the recent uh, two, three years of what we see, uh, we saw that they had to take the big tech to Congress and to force them to comply. It happened more than once. We saw them take Bank of America and others in order to get records to figure out who was using their accounts in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. All this is in Congress. If they could do it without this uh, uh, exposure, they wouldn't risk the exposure on TV and C-SPAN, etc., etc. Transparency is important. So I don't think you uh, um, you are... Um, 
necessarily paying attention to the fact that um, if they had these capabilities, they wouldn't be uh, the trials and the cooperation, the paying, paying uh, um, uh, relationships that happen in order to be able to to get some of those things uh, or uh, the lawsuits or the uh, Congress and other aspects of it. Also, they in order to to detect a hacker, I believe, uh, I don't remember, no, maybe it was uh, the QAnon um, leader, I, I'm not sure, they were trying to find somebody, they actually had to employ analysis algorithm to figure out based on uh, the content of the text, how it was written, who was writing it, and that's how they ended up catching that. And even before technology was around, the, uh, phones were being uh, monitored because of the technology aspect of it, it, it required that, uh, the technology it required at one point to have a switch operator, to have uh, some kind of um, infrastructure uh, capabilities to listen to uh, analyze quality of a call or in, in the analog systems. But in digital world, um, I don't think they're as connected as you guys would think. And uh, and on top of everything, we've always been our own worst enemies. We're the ones who expose our data. We're the ones who download apps that we think it's one thing and it turns out to be the backdoor of the CCP uh, and keep it over time uh, because uh, somebody required us to just visit the Olympic Games. Uh, there's all sorts of user files and you usually are not aware of happening because you expose bits and pieces in different different places and it doesn't take much to install something to track your keystrokes and it, it, that will surpass any kind of algorithm if it's keylogger uh, whatever you're touching or doing etc or if there's a clone of your phone or other things there's ways to go around them but don't assume that you can protect yourself because even if it's not your phone, the transport and other other things in between, other layers, other owners, other providers, somebody will get infiltrated. So just think of zero trust and if you don't know what it is, I would very highly recommend looking at it and watching some videos on YouTube and assume that what you are leaving out in the open world is the same as what you're leaving in the digital world except you maybe draw more attention in the digital world because you give up your intentions by your body language. You give up if you're lying or turning the truth I understand. and all those things. I want to quickly go to Emergent briefly. Emergent, uh, you know, your your, opera, your experience at NORAD, um, do you think the government has backdoors to Apple or other big tech companies or are we, you know, overdoing it? Uh, I also have a, a background in network architecture, so I can I can speak to this. Uh, so I'll, let me kind of simplify this discussion down to maybe this will kind of funnel some thinking in a, in a more positive direction. Is this is kind of a path of least effort problem? There's all these ways that the government could, or companies that want your data, could possibly get it, but this kind of comes down to. What is the easiest way for them to get it? If there's an easy way for them to get it, they're going to use that way instead of crazy backdoor hacking te- excuse me, techniques. So an example is at one point uh, we talk about uh, hardware and software backdoors. If you go back to the, the uh, documents that uh, Snowden dropped, at the time he was uh, the, the, the prime document that people reference in there was uh, the uh, NSA program Bull Run that talked about the agenda to put 
um, you know, abilities to obtain encryption keys in common software, common applications, et cetera. What's more revelatory there than the specific things that they were using at the time is, is the agenda that they were trying to do it. So what I would say is there's, there's cases like uh, at one point um, Cisco had to do a recall on uh, routers and switches. I want to say this was around 2014 to 2016-ish, and they found that there were some subcomponents within uh, network components. It was actually routers, switches, and I think there were a couple of firewall models too. Um, and they found that uh, Chinese companies at the behest of the Chinese government had implanted some hardware backdoors that intentionally left vulnerabilities in network interfaces so that Chinese hackers could come back later and try to get it. But these types of, uh, these types of techniques, um, as I think uh, it was Linus who alluded to, these types of infiltration tend to be found and fixed, and so Cisco did a whole recall on all of this. So I, I would venture to bet at this time, if we follow the path of least effort logic here, if the government wants your data, they're going to be much more likely to go to an easy place to get it, i.e. the big tech firms where they can do exactly what they did to uh, Yoel Roth and the other Twitter employees. They're, they're going to send people to tap them on the shoulder and say, give me access to this person's Gmail account. Give me access to this person's WhatsApp messages, assuming they have, they have a representative there, as opposed to trying to do, you know, Mission Impossible, dangle from the ceiling stunts to try and get your data because the fact is they have easier ways to get it now. So um, that, that, that's my take on it. If anybody has any questions or, or input on that, um, I'd, I'd welcome, uh, welcome your, your thoughts. You're 100% right. Input. Uh, go ahead, I have some input if I may, Mario. Thank you. Um, yeah, sure. So before, before input, Kobe, before the input or anyone else, just want to ask one more question emergent. Um, do you think they already have those backdoors? Do you think they already leveraged them? Because am, am I trusting the system too much? Well, I mean, and, and someone, I think it was, was it Suleiman said earlier, you know, okay, if you're a, you know, if you're an uh, Osama bin Laden level VIP, someone that the intelligence agencies are that interested in, then yes, I'm sure they're going to employ, I would just assume everything you, you say and do has been compromised. However, uh, and, and I think where the, the concern, where the concern of the average person is here is less so much, because the fact is, if you're, if you're that much in, in the crosshairs of the government, then they got you. You know, they have, yeah, and they have the capability. Mario. Mario, just, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Imagine, how about, how about, how about, imagine, how about, uh, how, <laughs> how about, um, Things you delete. So if you delete messages, if you delete photos, if you delete uh, emails, if you delete um, uh, websites you visit, history, cookies, um, can that still be stored somewhere or that's it? It's finally gone. Uh, I'd say so can you actually on the can you clear can you clear your digital footprint? Let's look at what's the mo the the Chrome is the most common browser, so we could use that as an well. Example. You could do what Hillary Clinton did. You just use Bitbleach, and then if you have Blackberries, you take hammers, put them in the microwave. Go ahead and yeah, Mario. It's, yeah. it's yeah. very most people don't realize it's actually very very difficult to really delete 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 files even on your computer on your hard drive. Uh, they're still there somewhere. Almost all of the time, you know, you drop something. In hold the on, trash when you or... sorry, sorry, Aaron, Aaron, hold on. If you clear your trash, the data is still there. Yes. 
No. With Hold on. Okay, okay. Aaron, Linus just gave a thumbs up. No! <laughs> I was expecting you to counter that. Yeah, Linus, you're confirming true. what Aaron just said. If you clear yeah. your recycle bin, your stuff is still there. Yes. I mean, you have to you have to delete it multiple times. I mean, there are ways, there are apps you can install that kind of wipes your memory multiple times, and then it gets harder to read. Uh, but it's, yeah, so, you're, so people destroying, but, so people burning, melting their laptop. They, there's logical reasons they're doing that. There's actual yeah. reasons to do that now. Yeah, because the, the sure. file the file is stored in in multiple quote unquote places on your hard drive in sort of multiple ways when you when you save a word document or a PDF or what have you. And when you're deleting it, you're you're kind of deleting. My understanding at a very non technical level is you're deleting the pathway for your, you know, to be able to pull it up, you're not necessarily deleting the, 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 the file itself or that piece of data it can be recovered with the right know-how somewhere. And to actually get rid of it permanently is quite difficult, as I understand it. What you're doing by default is you're actually freeing up the space and you're simply telling the operating system, oh, by the way, this picture is still there, but you're telling the operating system if it needs to save something, it can now write over that space. Now, if you do like an empty the trash type thing, then again, you may be deleting it, but there's still forensics techniques where something on a hard drive uh, can be... uh, Files can on an old hard drive can be restored because they can detect what the magnetic uh, resonance was of the file when it was written there. That takes time to recover, but I mean there are there are routines for wiping hard drives when when the government destroys imagine, classified drives. They imagine, typically let's, do. Let's go, let's oh, go to okay. the next one. Let's go to the next one. History on your browser. If you clear that. Um, if you, I just want to go through that thought process because I know a few hands up as well, COVID. I just want to continue that process with a few questions for Emergent before we go to yourself on Freemason and a, and a couple of hands that were up earlier. Because um, uh, so, this, <laughs> this is pretty shocking to me, COVID. Uh, Emergent, um, history on a browser. Let's use Chrome, for example. If you go there and clear history, clear cookies. Are you, I mean, are you I done? think you, Is you, that good? Uh, I think you can hear um, – uh, well, I think what you can do is you can eliminate kind of the local cache of those things. But remember, if you're communicating with a website, then the remote end has – probably still has whatever data that you communicate to that website or the cookies. So you take your uh, – you, you go and browse your Amazon shopping history. Well, you can delete your browser all you want, but they could still go to Amazon and say, give us Mario's shopping history, Right. So there's there's a there's a re- eliminating things on your on your browser end um, and and reducing cookies can kind of lower your footprint so to speak, but it, it really probably more of it is is what's stored on the remote end of that website or that service. Okay, Mario, and then if you go, if you and, uh, he sent me all of your um, internet browsing history, <laughs> even the private <laughs> website. So oh, go ahead. Cool, man. Cool. You, you know all the cartoons I watch at night before going to bed. Exactly. Uh, so, emergent private tabs, do they work? Emergent, wait, wait, wait. Listen, Mario, I understand you're concerned, but the free consultation is over. If you want to retain my <laughs> client service, <laughs> he's gonna, the money talks. He needs to retain it. 
<laughs> Imagine, like now all the criminals are going into my space to see how they can wipe everything. So I'm like, this is the space. All the scammers are like, hey man, <laughs> you know, all our, we're in shit. We got to come here and see how we can wipe everything. Um, so emergent, uh, back to the discussion, private tabs. Do they work in, in, um, keeping things private? I'd say that kind of depends on the, on the browser. Um, probably with a, and I actually think better than using like a Chrome browser would be something Chromium that's the open source version of Chrome based. Um, I think Brave browser is actually a pretty decent one. Um, I'd say using that with private tabs is, is again, it's fairly safe, but you have to keep in mind that your, your footprint is on two ends of the connection. There's what you have on your local end, but if you go to a, uh, you know, if you go to a triple X website, there's very little to stop them from storing. And again, that's really what a private browsing tab does for you is it provides a minimum of information to that other end that is even retrievable. So. Okay. And uh, do, and people recommend VPNs. Uh, do they? Uh, 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 someone told me not long ago, um, if you use a double connection VPN, uh, you know any browsing history, anything like that, is generally protected outside of what's stored in your uh, in your uh, on your even on your device. Nothing is stored if you use a private tab and if you use double connection VPN. That really depends on where the remote end of that VPN is and and what. You know, if, if the remote end is in is in China, then I would trust it a lot less than if it's in someplace a little bit more obscure. And and one of the one of the Snowden revelations was that part of the uh, NSA bull run program was to put backdoors in some of those commercial VPNs. Although to what degree they've succeeded, I think it's still. Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to be absolutely as secure as possible, I would get something that's more like an open source minimum footprint VPN as opposed to something commercial like, you know, NordVPN, any of those ones that the YouTubers, uh, you know, spam the advertisements well, for. What, I what, are, you, what are your thoughts on Pegasus? What is Pegasus? Uh, what, what, what is, what yeah, is Pegasus? Some people are Hello? alleging that it's basically some type of ability to uh, gain all this software from the phones. I don't know. I, I assumed you would know what it is. I don't know. That's why I was asking. Doesn't sound plausible to me, but it's something I can research and, and look into. COVID, you wanted to add on to the discussion? Yes. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, if, if people are worried about their smartphones spying on them, I just want to refer you to a Wired article that was from 2012, where the then CIA chief, David Petraeus, stated that we'll spy on you through your dishwasher. Now, this was um, a smart dishwasher. Basically, anything that's connected to the internet. But what was the what was the to... context of him saying that? Was it just as a, as a joke, or uh, uh, do do you know the context of that statement? So maybe he's just stating um, that hey, we have very strong abilities to be able to spy on you, but not genuinely be able to spy through your smart devices. I'm just curious. If they can spy on you through your dishwasher, they can certainly spy on you through your cell phone. Um, so, anything that's connected to the Internet was the context, essentially. And I, I DM'd you the Wired article where the CIA chief, uh, David Petraeus, mentioned this. And I'd also like to point out that uh, I also sent you uh, an Axios article where they covered uh, WikiLeaks revelations um, where the CIA has been... Uh, 
through their Vault 7. This was known as Vault 7 Release, which talked about a, a zero-day um, program that the CIA was running where they turned iPhones, Android devices, Windows operating systems, Samsung TVs, basically anything that's hooked up to the Internet um, to where they can switch them on at any time and surveil you. Uh, so, you know, like, uh, I, I just want to emphasize the point that um, anything that's connected to the Internet can be hacked and cracked and they can be they can look at. And when we take into consideration that the intelligence agencies themselves played a hand in creating <laughs> the Internet and, 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 they, and then the uh, big tech companies are, have become an extension of these government um, agencies themselves. Like, how can we trust any of them? They have shown uh, no respect for the rule of law. Uh, there's something called uh, con uh, parallel construction to where they can garner information from you, from, you know, illicit activity, for example, if they believe you're breaking the law and they obtain that information illegally because we're protected, uh, supposedly here in the U.S., uh, we have rights and everything, and they're not supposed to be doing this stuff. But if they gather this information from you illegally that you are doing uh, something that is against the law, then they start to build a case around that to try to get you to justify um, their their uh, investigation against you. So, you know, uh, yes, this th there is a big problem here uh, with Silicon Valley, with the intelligence agencies and the Internet itself. And and I would say in, in, in this article right here um, uh, from Axios, uh, they say that the CIA uses uh, hacks and cracks against your devices that bypass the encryption of WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, Webio, all of them. So just assume, like I, just my advice, uh, just assume if you're operating online, just assume that everybody can see it, okay? So I'll give saying, you the mic in a bit, Jake. Yeah, I'll, actually, Jake, jump in. This will be relevant to your experience. Yeah, um, I wanted everybody to be aware of <clears throat> uh, somebody mentioned Pegasus. There are there are two podcasts. Would you mind if I I share them? Um, the no, of course, yeah. No. Darknet Diaries is uh, oh my goodness. Every week or every episode is uh, uh, he goes in depth with a hacker, but also Hackable by McAfee. It's a few years old. He brings in experts almost every episode to hack things like your coffee machine, and they'll say, "Hey, you can't do this, can you?" And he will bring in somebody who will literally on on air during the show hack his smart coffee machine or hack the refrigerator or intercept the key fob for their for his car and be able to uh repeat or double the signal so that you know he can he can break into any car and start it so both of those darknet diaries and hackable are they go into extreme detail everything covid one was saying uh, they go into extreme detail and they actually will let you witness it. So, I mean, if you're interested in that, and there's an entire episode on Pegasus, the people who, who started it, um, how it's going and, and how it's being used. So I really recommend that to anybody who's interested in this conversation right now. I just want um, to add wanna, to that. that is that your line? Yeah, yeah, like, the things that you're talking about are, are, are great. I love hackable. Um, and I also love the dark diaries. Um, and they're hacking things that has zero security in it, right? If you're making a coffee machine and you're connecting it to the internet, that company doesn't have a single engineer focused on security. 
Um, we're talking about Apple, who's made it their mission to kind of become the privacy company of the world. It's slightly different to try to hack an iPhone than it is to try to sniff out the key fob from your new Mercedes-Benz, right? So I think just it's really important to keep these two things separate. Like, yes, I can hack my fridge. It's not the same thing as I can hack my iPhone. So just keep that in context. Mario, I, I got Mario. I got to head down. I just wanted to say I think this conversation is needless because I think all these governments are going to comply, especially when they're going to one way or another rely on government regulation or handouts to exist. And a lot of these big tech and media companies and are connected to the government through government contracts. I mean, the government is a big purchaser in all industries now, people. So a lot of people don't want to piss off their biggest client. I think we're talking about a lot of nonsense. But they said Michael Ray Curry. I think he's down there. He's supposed to be knowledgeable on this. I'm not, but I'm going to head down, listen for a little bit, then head out. Everybody take care. Thanks, Protocol. Thanks, for Linus, quick question. So so back to the back door. I know you got to go. you got to put the kids to bed, Linus. But um, back doors, um, you said with back doors uh, into the chip and into Apple in this example, that would be the point of concern. So it's like trusting the systems rather than the, than the uh, devices. So would you say if there is a backdoor to a VPN provider, a backdoor to Apple, a backdoor to the chip manufacturer, um, privacy becomes almost impossible? Um, is that a fair statement? And again, it's a big if because we don't I, I, know. I think it was said. Yeah, I think it was said before that like if people really, want, if companies or or, or individuals or, or even the government wants your data, there's easier ways to do it than try to like go through all these hoops to 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 obtain it. Like a backdoor into a VPN, like it's a really far-fetched way to go about to get some data, right? It's much easier to call your bank and go, "Hey, I want the bank statements of this guy," or you know, no, but that's common. But that's that's public. But you know, people try to hide. You know, more and more people are trying to use VPNs, use different ways to hide things they do. You're going to be 99% more secure behind a VPN, regardless if it's NordVPN or Pegasus, or if you're using some other service, right? If you're just browsing the internet on even, you know, at home, uh, it's it's easy for for third parties that you know, if you're browsing the internet, for them to get your data. I mean, I, I've been in in the, in the tech industry for almost 20 years, um, sniffing data from people using the internet it's like it's business that's what everyone does right but when we're talking about like sending messages privately on secure chats and whatnot that's slightly different it's not like you browsing the internet through a browser there's a lot of people that said it really well here like yeah you can use you know chromium uh, or, or other device a bit more open source and um, you can try to hide behind a vpn i mean there's tons of things you can do to be more secure you will never be 100 percent secure that, that, that's just like that's it you, you'll never be 100 percent secure but there there are some things thrown around that's like yeah I'm, you know not not really yeah that the, it's like yes it's doable but if it was a big deal then these things would be more public so just want maybe close out yeah and, and, and something something i say yes something i've said as well linus is that the government is just not good at keeping secrets we've seen leak after leak after leak we've seen you know, Snowden was given as an example before. Um, so just something worth keeping in mind. Um, but I, I'd, I'd go to Emergent uh, <clears throat> to, to add on to the chat just briefly. Uh, on that point, I, I'll I give you the interrupt. Um, no, but sorry. we have to take into consideration as well. Um, some of the leaks may be intentional because when, if we remember back to when Snowden revelations came out, that the NSA was watching and spying on everything, what it did was it created an environment to where people began to self-censor. 
they began to shut down and be quiet because they were afraid that people were listening, that the government was listening, you know. So that that was um, a form of self-censorship. And many speculate I, that I wouldn't that say, but I wouldn't been... say Edward. I wouldn't say Edward Snowden's leak is intentional. Like he's, he, the guy's in Russia. Uh, the amount of stuff no. he leaked, like... I'm saying that the end result of, of what took place from the Snowden revelations was that people began to self-censor, right? So that's something that we should take into consideration, that sometimes there are controlled leaks to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're watching everything you do, and what are you going to do about it? Because nothing has changed. Nothing happened. No one was held accountable. Yes, we all know that the NSA is watching and spying on everything that we do, and it's illegal. And the Snowden revelations proved that. But what has changed since then? Nothing. It normalized it. So that's it's an interesting and important point that I just wanted to mention there. Thank you. COVID, you're right. Thanks, because what, what, what you're trying to say is not that Snowden intentionally did that, but what happened was when people didn't speak out about it, that's when the government realized that it's acceptable to do this. And hence why we even put this topic in here in the first place. The fact that, again, People are accepting the extension of 702 is another example of why the government will continue to do these measures. Emergent, yeah, emergent. I want to go to emergent to add on to what was uh, said by Linus earlier. Sure, I agree. I think I think a lot of it is kind of psychological self-censorship and censorship in nature. It, it's also that there's there's practical limitations on the back end of, of I mean, if they were surveilling everybody everywhere at all times, 24 seven, where's all this being stored? Right. At some point, yeah, every data management has to start deciding what is or isn't important where i think where i think this is more relevant to the average american's concerns you know assuming you're not a an, an osama bin laden level vip that they're that interested in where where the average person's concerns probably intersect with this space is more the mass surveillance um going back to the ring doorbell uh issue for a second because i think that's a very interesting case study is uh amazon created the ring doorbells and they said oh you know you sign your user agreement and then you know it's all private but then one day they did like a software patch that's you know when you activate the thing or download the patch it says oh accept uh you know end user license terms and it said oh yeah by the way now we can take your data and store it and, and blah 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 and then they did another update and said now we can share it with third parties so the concern there was that there were some law enforcement agencies that did warrant requests to Amazon for the contents or the footage or the storage from people's ring doorbell cameras. And then the law enforcement agencies started uh, harassing Amazon with these warrant requests. And then this, this is not dissimilar from what happened in the Twitter files. You know, the, they were, they were harassing Twitter with all these warrant requests. And then they said, well, you know, you want to lower your workload with all these. Why don't you just give us what we want or let us send you large lists of things that we want? So what ended up happening, I think it was the first ones were in, um, I think, either Washington State or Oregon, where law enforcement agencies made these requests to Amazon saying, oh, well, we just want blanket access to get into anybody's ring doorbell camera within our jurisdiction and Amazon complied with it. And so that leads to a scenario where, you know, everybody said, you know, the, the classic argument against this stuff was, you know, well, if you don't, if you don't like an Amazon ring doorbell, then don't buy one. But the reality is, is now, and there were, there were a couple of documented cases where 
they, uh, the law enforcement agencies in question had surveilled somebody's house not using their ring doorbell camera, but they said, oh, well, your neighbor across the street has one that is pointing at your house, and they could then use that one to surveil you. Right. So this this is where and I think it's more the the blanket surveillance requests, the overly broad. That's where it gets really tricky. And that's where I think the average person's um, concerns probably come more into play. It's not so much that the government is really going to go after you specifically, but that they're generally collecting all this stuff on you. And who knows what they're doing with it. Right. And it's the government. It's the corporations, too. Yes, yeah, like I, I've, is, I've made an argument uh, that that is it fair to say that censorship is not censorship. Um, what was it? Privacy is dead. I've said this before, and it's. It, it, I, I even said like it, it's not. You know, it, it, it's you, privacy you know. under the intent of corporate uh, mitigations and delegations of your private information in that sense. So if you're doing interactions with AT and T, Amazon, you're doing it by virtue that they're going to utilize that information in a trustful manner. But then when we're looking at the mandated obligations that U.S. corporations must oblige within, let's say, legal uh, information and especially within the Freedom of Information Act, the uh, the uh, addition of uh, information they need to comply with the government. It's it's quite compounding in that sense. And uh, Prodigal brought in a very relevant point, and I'm going to end it here because, again, I, I'm more of a financier in that sense. But if we're looking at the relations between pension funds and governments, essentially AT&T composes roughly $119 billion worth of pension structures, and they will accor- uh, work in accordance with that stimulus and with the governments and associations with any programs that they need in order to ensure that stimulus. And it's by virtue of the functions of, let's say, government initiating stimulus within corporations and this by virtue too big to fail. Essentially, we saw this in 2008, 2010. We had a internal relation between corporations, U.S. corporations and uh, and let's say the governments. And there is always precedence for nationalizations of, let's say, network companies and or agricultural and even uh, energy corporations. There is actual precedence within emergency fiscal uh, responses that Gene and whole uh, fiscal emergency act of 2021 alludes to a potential nationalization in a context where it's it's militarized. I apologize for that long tangent there, Mario, but I'm going to let you go ahead. Yeah, like my what I was saying before is like I, I would say sense. Um, um, what was it? Um, not censorship. Uh, privacy. Privacy is dead. And what I added to it, and I was kind of hesitant to say it here, but I would say like, and, and it's not really a bad thing. And that was kind of my mindset was like, I have nothing to hide. I've never done anything wrong. And to this day, I've got nothing to hide. But that then then you start to realize like any piece of information could be twisted any way and they can be used against you in different ways. And there's things that could not really be illegal um, or um, – but when you're a certain – like let's say you're a president of the United States – the smallest things could get you in trouble. You could be taking a selfie with a naked girl and suddenly that could destroy your whole presidency. Um, so that's where like it just gets, uh, starts to get really, uh, really scary. And that's not, it's not going to yeah. be scary for the average Joe, in my opinion, but it's going to be scary as you become more public. Protocol was making fun of me. Um, and, uh, I gave the example of when I interviewed Hunter Biden, suddenly all my team want to use Signal. And then, uh, he kept, keeps making fun of me because obviously now I care more about privacy than I did. Um, uh, but let's say a year ago, it's not because I, anything's changed. My information is the same. I really have nothing to hide. But we said this. But um, when you become more public, then you like start rethinking those things. 
Yeah, yeah I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, like, like I was one of those people that always said, like, like who cares if you're not doing anything wrong? Then, then what is there to worry about? And then my home was raided, <laughs> and they went went through my trash, and they went through my hard drives, and they went through all my personal documents. And then I started realizing this is horrible. I mean, I mean, it's an invasion of privacy. I wasn't even charged with anything, and they did all of that. And they were, they were basically tracking me for months and months and months following me. And it's, it's scary. So like, I, I understand people that say that, uh, but there really is a lot to worry about. I, I mean, they find all sorts of things about you, about you that, that's not illegal, but you don't want other people to know about, you know, you have your own privacy. Hmm. I don't know. Like, do you what think censorship? I keep saying. Uh, I, I just, do you consider like uh, privacy is dead, whether we like I, it or not, and we're going to continue seeing that death gradually over the next uh, two decades? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, with technology and how everything's so interconnected, I, I think it, there's no doubt that it's dead. Uh, I, I think that I wouldn't say it's dead. I would say privacy is analog. You've got to go analog if you want privacy. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, but then I, it's I going. Uh, but analog, you can't live analog anymore. Uh, it's exactly. already very difficult today. Imagine in ten years' time, you're 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 like one of those. You know how now you start. There's tribes in the Amazon and stuff that get discovered. They haven't had any interaction with humanity whatsoever. You start becoming one of those people as more and more people move into that virtual world. What, what people are calling the metaverse. Uh, there's life is going to be all of it virtual. So I just well, don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, anybody could go. Anybody could go, go off the grid. And- and live in the woods and and all that but then i mean what are you sacrificing you got a major disadvantage in life it's really a question do they need leverage on you for any reason i mean if 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 you're just one of the average joe schmoes and 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 there's no need to leverage you or twist your arm or or take your data the thing that you have to worry about is risk of theft and identity theft from not the government but from from hackers and criminals who who are exploiting you know, through social engineering, stealing your passwords. There's people that will order Chipotle using uh, free accounts. They don't even know who they belong to, but they're, they're sold on the dark net for $200 um, for a, a giant packet of, of uh, accounts and things like that. So, or like $5, someone will order a pizza to your house with a stolen account. So, I mean, those people are going to manipulate you and, and take advantage of you. But for the government, like you said, Mario, if there's a president and, you need some sort of leverage on him or you're a politician and you say, hey, um, we want you to do us this small favor. And if you don't, we'll release this information. You really do have to worry if you have some kind of uh, someone has a need to leverage you for something. Then your information is you don't have privacy unless you're fully analog. Yeah. And, and, but but the, the thing is, the, the, Jake, what concerns me is like why I consider privacy a lot more important. Brian, you talked about your example of how um, um uh, you had your home raided. Well, my 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 example is, is relatively similar. I had a lot of financials leaked and everything leaked. Conversation because I I'm like the com- if you guys hear how how transparent I am, I record. I used to record all my calls, business calls, and and my, a lot of people in my team would have access to them. For example, and diff- so I was really bad at opsec operation security, and I had a lot of stuff leaked. I'm like fine. When I got it leaked, I, I didn't care. The person threatened me, tried to to get money. Before leaking, they're like, "No, I don't care. You can leak them because uh, I have nothing to hide." But then they start getting twisted in different ways, 
could be like a, an angry message from one person could be turned into a whole story that's completely far from the truth. So that's why I start considering privacy. I start, you know, taking it a lot more seriously. Um, cause you don't have to have anything to hide to want yourself being private. But I also genuinely think, uh, privacy is dead. Like Freemason, I don't know your thoughts, but I think in a decade or so, um, People are going to look at talk today on like a few decades. You talk to your parents, um, your kids will say to you like, "Really? People wouldn't know these things about you?" Yeah, I mean, listen, hey guys, uh, Freemason Brendan Green here from uh, your mic, man. You can't, we can't hear you, Freemason. Your mic is is uh, dead. Hey, can Not you sure hear me? If you can fix it. Yeah, it's really bad, man. I'll, I'll give you a few. I'll give you a bit just to fix it. I'll go to Joe in okay, the meantime. No, no, no. Joe. Yeah, Mar. To yeah, to your point. Um, I know someone who was an MMA fighter. He, um, he, he, of course, went to the gym a lot. He sent a message to a friend of his that was asking, do you know where I can get steroids? He's like, I have no idea, man. Why don't you go check Silk Road, right? He winded up having to do probation for sending someone to Silk Road who then bought steroids and got caught. So... You do need to be careful. Hold on, buying, is said. buying, Brian, is buying, and uh, sorry if it's a stupid question, but buying steroids is illegal? In the States it is, and, but he didn't even buy oh, it. Oh, really? He just told, hold on, hold on. Just, sorry, two seconds. Is buying steroids, isn't like, I just keep hearing all these different boxers and, and uh, wrestlers using steroids and becoming common knowledge. Wasn't that big uh, celebrity, the, the meat guy, I forgot his name? Um, he oh, was yeah, Liver King never yeah, so, used steroids so, and he so, uses steroids, but is is that because of so, legality? So, like, so there's ways to get them legally, I assume. Like 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 you can get a prescription, you know the right doctors. There's doctors that you know you can go to 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 get them to write a prescription for you. But you, like you can't just buy them on the street or buy them on the black market or have a friend sell them to you. That's illegal. Yeah, but he didn't even buy. He just told someone to go to Silk Road, and because of a law that exists in the U.S. that if you are involved at all in the chain of the purchase, you are just as guilty as the person who sold it, which I found to be completely ridiculous. But you never know when you say it like you're like, of course you didn't know he was breaking a law, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I'll, um, far out. Like I changed the title of the space. Um, we started off, you know, this is a daily space we're going to do where we cover breaking news. I didn't expect it to take this long. Uh, but now I'm gonna go start melting my phones and laptop and, and using Tor, uh, the browser Tor and having VPNs and I'm gonna stop laughing at my team that's for taking everything seriously. So anyone emerging, I'm gonna be DMing you. Um, yeah, Protocol, you offered your services, I'm gonna DM you and, uh, 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 Aaron as well. I just get some tips. But, um, yeah, it, it, that's concerning stuff. We started covering the Ukraine war, the developments there. We're not going to talk about Andrew Tate. We'll do that tomorrow. But in brief, uh, Slayman, I think he, there were documents about him potentially having cancer, but there's more information on this. So let's cover it tomorrow. And um, we've talked about the, um, Biden's uh, surveillance act. And that's what led to this rabbit hole where we are today in the title of the space. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. That's a good way to, a good uh, place to end it, Slayman. Anything? Are we going to yeah, do I'm the end Elon it, thing? Okay. Uh, now let me do it tomorrow, bro. Like I, I, I need to recover from this discussion. Uh, Slayman, yeah, anything will. else? Uh... <laughs> you have to go burn your phones right now. No, no. I, <laughs> I just if, if, if I, I mean, you could probably do. Oh, uh, sorry. If I may just, sorry. Thank go you. Ahead, just briefly, thank you for that. Um, I, I would like to point out 
that the surveillance that we're talking about that is taking place and that is rampant um, was justified because of an emergency, right? Like if we look at every every major event that has taken place recently here in, in our lifetimes that exceeds the normal parameters of the rule of law and everything like that, it's, it's always justified by an emergency, uh, right? So like 9-11, for example, paved the way, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Patriot Act, uh, you know, and everything that went along with it in the name of, you know, fighting the terrorists, everything like that. That's what paved the way for this exact surveillance that we're talking about right now. Um, things that they would never normally be allowed or able to get away with, they are doing so now, uh, like we had seen with what took place with COVID. COVID. I, completely, uh, I completely agree with you, bro. Um, and, I, and I say this a lot, that basically whenever they want to put draconian measures into place, they always do it against people you hit and then they apply it to you. So in this scenario, of course, they used it against, uh, with the claims that, and bringing it back to the issue at hand, claims that they're using it against foreign agents and then they used it to apply, uh, spy on the Americans. And then they've extended the bill and that's why it was important to have this in here or in today's d- discussion that what they were extending it and not not many people spoke about it and not not many people highlighted it. And that's why, I think Mario space is important because look how much discussion we've had about it. Yeah, and well, recently we've had the White House release as well, haven't we? So all of these things are connected. Sorry, Mario, I'll let you finish. Before, before, you, before you wrap it up, Slayman, Emergent, can you just give us quick tips on what people could do today? Just very briefly, I don't want to start a new discussion. To wrap the space, quick tips they could do today to protect their privacy from uh, and not going as far as what I think Protocol, whoever recommended earlier, Aaron, the CEO that got his phone hacked and, and a few things removed from it. What can we do today? We can't prevent a backdoor into Apple if it does happen, if it already has happened. We can't prevent a backdoor into the chip manufacturers. Um, but what are things that we can do other than obviously, number one, if you're a scammer listening to this on how you could avoid stuff, don't scam. And in these cases, I like that privacy you know, is, is dying because people like you get called out. But um, for people that are just doing the right thing, they want to protect their privacy, what can you recommend? Uh, I'd say just a few things would be use a uh, use a Chromium browser with uh, that's an open source uh, version of Chrome based browser with good security features. I think Brave is a pretty good one, uh, has good integration with crypto wallets. If you use any of that, I'd say um, use an use a privacy focused email. Proton Mail is uh, one of the better ones out there. Imagine, uh, at least- imagine. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming most of the audience hasn't got your knowledge level. So when you say Brave and these things, if you can just expand on it a bit more. Okay, Brave is a uh, it's a Chromium-based uh, internet browser. Um, it's open source, uh, has all the features of Chrome, so all the plugins and things from Chrome will work with it, but it's open source, like I said, has better security features. Um, use a use a more secure privacy focused email. I think Proton Mail is a is a pretty good one, much better alternative to Google. Um, use a VPN product of some kind. Um, commercial one uh, is probably, in my opinion, less preferable to something that's more open source. You know, if you really want to go secure, use something like a, a Tor browser. But that's probably more than I mean. At that point, it kind of becomes well, what are you doing that you need to hide? Uh, probably for the average person. But I'd say those are those are good tips. Just watch what you upload. Just keep in mind that everything you send to a remote third party, regardless of what you do on your end, that that third party now has it. So just think of it as like mi- minimizing your footprint. 
because you can't, also, can't be zero. Be careful of what links you click on as well, because links can. Um, oh. have that's the biggest one. Data. Yeah, it's the yeah, biggest one. Nothing. Careful. Download nothing. Uh, that's the reading point. I just want to add that, you know, th this is one of those things that a lot of people say, what do you have to hide? And part of me was a little bit like that, although I've always been very privacy conscious. But I think, you know, what you, aside from, you know, obviously there is a lot of secure information that people have, you know, that just just opens them up to breaches, you know, financial information, things like that. But just the idea, I mean, the things that we thought yesterday that were completely innocent and just normal thoughts, you know, tomorrow become something else. So we just don't know where the world is going. So I think it's important to be aware. Yeah, of it's a silly one. Like this is like, for example, the, the example that um, Joa gave where a friend wanted to buy um, steroids. And he's like, yeah, you can go buy it on, on Silk Road. Uh, so and and got probation because of that. Just gives you an example where privacy uh, uh, privacy matters. Another example uh, along with mine and uh, Brian's. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, oh, sorry, Catherine. Go ahead. I was muting everyone to wrap it up. My bad. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. No, no. But even the discourses that we've been a lot of the things we've been talking about, and obviously all the pandemic stuff. I mean, a lot of these narratives are kind of unacceptable by a lot of people these days, or at least they, a lot of these things were, and I would have never imagined that they would be, you know, a number of years ago. So I think, I think that's, that's important to note because just the world is always changing. So um, as much as people like to say, well, you've never committed a crime or you would never do that, or I would never do that. I mean, I, I would think that I would never commit a crime be wanted by, any any agencies but but it's just the nature of the world is that we just don't know and we expect it to behave a certain way and it just doesn't always behave that way that we expect so it's just very important and and nothing is um impenetrable you know i think uh we think that even these secure things as as um were just mentioned. I mean, Prot and Mail and the browsers, that's also not, you know, foolproof. So it's important to note Signal, which I like, but it's it's not foolproof. As I said, privacy is dead, makes it official. Justin, you're in late for the space. We're just wrapping up. But uh, a great discussion. Slayman, thanks a lot for organizing the agenda. Uh, all Source as well, thanks for co-hosting with Slayman. And I'll see you all tomorrow for the breaking news coverage. Appreciate it, everyone. Bye.